you got to yeah. tell we, we obviously we're Brooke and I from Sydney and Brooks. I think you you had a sticker or or artwork in Frankie's Pizza. I thought you were gonna. I thought yeah. I thought this was going. Yeah, because you performed there when it yeah. when the last night was it? Uh, we did it last night. We did one of the last few shows. Shows, yeah. But yeah, so I know the owners of uh, Frankie's like they're good friends, and um, yeah, like we've played there so many times. Like, it's a, like the say, iconic like, venue down there, yeah, iconic venue, and it's closed now, and it just breaks my heart. Like I love that place, man. Like you get some yeah. funny stories from there, which I'm not sure if I'll. Oh, you can say, say something. <laughs> we used to go there a lot we used to we have art exhibitions down in the basement mm. like absolutely just fry to death in summer and then come back yeah. up and there was just yeah it was always had great music and everything yeah. there yeah, yeah. Uh, i will i will say like a, a little funny one from there it's not really related to us but yeah. any of the the staff members if they met somebody that they quite liked throughout the night there was like a an unwritten slash potentially written rule yeah um in your staff contract that you could call in a code pink and a code pink was there was a pink like a uh, slippery when wet or like do not enter yeah. sign that they'd put at the front of the toilets and block it out and then they could use this for our extracurricular activities. So oh, like, wow. Yeah, so there we go. I didn't so, know yeah, that. So Code, oh. Code Pink's a real funny one. And then I suppose now that they're closed, I could probably mention that. Yeah, but it was like a, a hush, hush <laughs> one before. Wow, um, that's yeah. actually really, that's actually so really cool. It's hilarious. It is, it is cool. It is oh, cool. Oh, come yeah. on. You've got more about Frankie's. I want to know a bit more. <laughs> oh, we do. There's just stuff that I could probably, probably shouldn't Did mention. Did you guys ever have to use the basement? Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to On The Couch With Hooli. This is Australia's number one motorsports podcast, where we interview motorsport personalities from all sides of the track, both locally and internationally. Whether it's two or four wheels, flat or dirt tracks, we get to know their stories. Hang on, Hooli. I just want to point out some key information for our listeners. What makes this podcast different is your host, Hooli, is a racing champion himself. That's definitely true. I ask the questions others might miss who don't have the experience behind the wheel. And a big kicker that makes us so different from the others is we're not here to get the latest headlines. Yes, we cannot emphasise that enough. We want to hear stories, lessons learned, challenges faced, the highs and lows, but we don't want to bully, pester or in general be assholes to our guests. Well, that's enough from us, so let's get into it and hear it from our next guest, Beyond the Helmet. On today's episode of On the Catch with Hooli, we've got the former Australian karting champion and Super 2 driver, Matt McLean. Now a former member of the Crookheads, Matt has always been talented since a very young age. As a musician, he's played alongside Thirsty Merck, amongst other legendary Aussie bands. We were stoked to have the rock star join us in the studio who showed up with plenty of enthusiasm, which you'll hear on today's show. Anyway, that's enough from me, so let's hear it from the man himself, Matt McLean. Uh, right. Okay, yeah, we're pretty much good to go. We are good to go? Yep. All righty, well, the rock star is in the house, Matt McLean. Dude, before you start talking, I am absolutely amazed, like, the amount of effort and the travel that you did to come here today. Oh, thanks. Uh, thanks for having us on here, Hooli, man. It's great to be here. But, yeah, it was a, a bit of a trek. Uh, yeah. Obviously, flew up this morning. Hopped on two buses, two trains, and a ferry, and then walked from the mall here. But we're here, so <laughs> so we're, it's going to be good, man. Yeah, you were saying to Brooke off the air that you lived in Petersham, was that correct, or lived around Sydney for a bit? Yeah. So in 2020, I actually moved to Dremoin. Yeah. And um, it was a bit of an unintentional move. I actually went uh, to Orient to do some driver coaching, a big group coaching days, uh, which I do or I used to more so do. And um, then COVID got really bad in yeah. Melbourne. So the borders were shut. 
ended up staying with a friend in Des Moines, which then turned into six months because I had the opportunity to race at Bathurst for the first time. So I was like, right, I'm going to stay here and wait it out. Because if I go back to Melbourne, then, you know, there's less chance of me actually getting back to be able to race. So yeah. stuck it out just six months just for the one race. <laughs> but then after that, sorry, yeah, in 2021, I lived in Petersham as well for similar circumstances really because uh, we had uh, a few races in Super 2 at the end of the year and uh, Melbourne was still going through some dramas of the lockdown. So, yeah, just stayed in Petersham with um, some bandmates. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the bandmates was the crookheads crook band, bandmate was another – because you gotta you got to explain a bit more before we get into the racing stuff, which obviously happens in this podcast, yeah. like a bit more of a background. So we'll start with, like, the music and, like, all that type of the arts type of thing. So have you just only been in the crookheads or have you been in other bands and how did that actually all, like, begin? Yeah, so the Crookeds came uh, as a bit of a weird one. So I actually went to a bar to watch a gig and it was the Crookeds before I joined it. It was just not so much a serious band. It was a bit of a pub band. Yeah. And I was like, wow, these guys are awesome. And after the show, I hit it off with the singer really well and all the other boys and we sort of just became best buds. And uh, the singer decided he wanted to take it more seriously and was like, yo, man, like, do you want to join this band with me? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, pretty keen. Around about the same time, me and the singer actually joined another band together and that was going really well. So then he asked me again, he's like, Yo, like, do you wanna do you wanna take it serious? Like, let's let's get this band going. And I was like, Yeah, right. So we both left that other band and then started taking the crooked seriously, found some other members that were serious as well, and it sort of went from there. But yeah, played music uh, from when I was seven years old. So I started playing guitar. I got lessons for like three months and then self taught after that. Yeah, right. Like and did you did, was there a reason that you chose like bass, like the bass guitar over like, you know, obviously the other instruments? Yeah, so it was because it was like I took a big break um, from playing guitar pretty much just to focus on my racing. Mm. I was like there was no time spent on anything else really, so I just stacked playing guitar. And um, it was sort of a bit of an easy transition for me to hop back in and uh, learn all the songs on bass mm. um, rather than worrying about chords and all this sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I just started getting back on the bass. And to be honest, fell in love straight away. So, yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a calling. So it worked out really well. Yeah, and your dad, I've got him on Facebook. He's pretty avid about, <laughs> he's pretty uh, avid about yeah. not only your racing career but your, your music career. Um, has he been like any – has he been supportive of both? And did he did he say, listen, I think music will make more money than the car racing thing? Or did he just go, honestly – Matt, just go for your dreams. Like, what was it like for you? Yeah, like, Dad's just pretty much just go for your dreams, really. Mm. Um, so he's he comes to, like, a couple shows, like, here and there, but he's, like, you know, he's always at the track for all my races, and we used to go go-karting together, and it was just him and I. So, yeah, he's – I would say he's definitely more of an advocate of the racing side of things. Yeah. But he likes music too, so, yeah, it sort of works both ways. Yeah, and the Boost Mobile, you got the Boost Mobile shirt. So yeah. you come up here, you you, I, I think you're one of the busiest men in pit lane, and obviously Super 2 this year – I think in my opinion, and you probably agree with this, is struggling, I think, for cars or something. Is there something going on where they're – even Jay, Ro- Jay Robotham as well today has said that there's not enough cars and you, basically you guys are struggling to get on the grid. Is that – what's going on with the whole Super 2 thing at the moment? Yeah, well, you absolutely nailed it. The biggest issue is car availability. So a lot of car collectors have purchased the cars and they just want to park them in garages. They're not really willing to lease them out. And mm. if they are, it's like a massive lease fee. So it's sort of numbers that most people can't afford. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's really difficult for a lot of people. There's a lot of really good drivers in Super 2 that haven't been able to actually find a seat for the year. Mm. Um, there's pretty much only one going around at the moment. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I would imagine there's a fair few people fighting for it. Yeah, right. Uh, so the dollar sort of is getting driven up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that makes it hard for guys like myself. I don't have any, like, family support or anything like that. Mm. All my money is uh, through income generated by working or uh, just by sponsorship as well. So have a few contra deals to sort of help that stuff. But yeah, it is a busy time. You're right. Like it, I am extremely busy. Been working uh, three jobs as well as running my own business at the moment just to try and generate funds to go racing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can so you actually, can you, can you touch on that? Like the, yeah. the jobs that you're doing? Because 
you've kind of done different to what me and a lot of some other drivers do, I wouldn't say all, like most go through state racing, but it seems like what I've noticed is you've basically picked it up from go-karts and gone straight to supercars, but thought the money that I've got, I'm going to make the most work, like work, make it work and go straight to a supercar. Yeah, kind of. It's a bit of a weird one, to be honest. Like I always had an ambition to go to cars, but all throughout go-karts, everyone around me was always like, um, you know, Maddie, you're not rich. Like, just forget it. You're just going to disappoint yourself. You try for a year and it'll fail. And when you're a kid, like all the older people are smarter than you. So you'd listen to them. I believed them all. Yeah. And I actually did a race uh, in go-karts against like a lot of the like really good supercar drivers at the time. You know, guys like Ken Waters, Nick Perkat, like all these sorts of guys. I think it was about 10 of them in the field. But then there's all the best carters in the country. There was like a current world champion or two current world champions as well. I actually did it with uh, Jimmy Golding. He was my co-driver. Yeah. And we ended up winning. And it was actually only a couple of days later, I got a call from Terry Whyhoon. Um, so he'd been in talks with uh, one of my customers from driver coaching in go-karts. Yeah. And this guy is a really big advocate for me. His name's Bill Caracolis. So shout out to him. He uh, He's always doing everything he can to try and help me get sponsors. Anyways, he was talking to Terry. He's like, man, you got to get this guy in a supercar. I'm telling you he'll be good. Terry's like, oh, yeah, like what's he done? And he's like, go-karts. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, right. Like I'll think about it. But then uh, that sort of gave him enough fine power for Bill to be like, Terry, like get this guy in. So Terry gave me a call and told me to come in for a meeting. And then, um, yeah, gave me a test in the car and it went well. And then he helped me out to get racing. So, yeah, that was always the intention to go and race other categories. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I guess like through having no financial family support or anything like that yep. and listening to all those people around me, it sort of wasn't a possibility, but here we are. So yeah. We've had Tom Williamson here who's an avid driver coach and stuff like that. Oh, Can yeah. you, you were, I think you were working over 2019 or 18 with – it was it Arrow or was it? You worked for Energy Course and Arrow. Yeah. But did did within those two jobs did the did the coaching come inside that or was that your own business within that? Like, how's it all work for you with those four jobs? Like, it'd be good for you to explain the four jobs that keep you racing. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I was to say to the audience now, Matt's day, Matt's week schedule, what would it be like with the four jobs and whatnot? Yeah. So I'll backtrack a little bit. So. My job in terms of like my own business in driver training just always always like existed really for the last, I would say, 10 years um, from when I sort of started going good in go-karts. Mm. Started doing that straight away, it's a bit of cash on the side. So that was separate for any of the, I guess, job ventures that I had. Now, when I left school, I started working for Melbourne Kart Centre. Yeah. And um, I was working there for a little bit and I, through that, developed a relationship with Bart Price, uh, who owns TPA Car Technology, which is Aerocarts. Yeah. And um, yeah, we just became friends. And a few months later, he asked me to go work for him and offered me some real good money. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go do that, like work for the supplier, you know? Yeah. And um, went there and things started going well. So I was just doing uh, cart assembly when I started there. So I was building go-karts and then working my way up into sales and marketing. But at the same time, I was doing R&D and developing new products uh, with Darren Hossack. So we'd be working on new projects, developing new carts, all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so I got to work on some really cool projects there. So the Arrow X5 cart is like my project essentially. So it was like a, you know, oh, I'd say 18 month period of just making go carts, go back to the factory, try like just back and forth, you know, going on the track back to the factory. Yeah. Because the factory was located in uh, Clayton and then we'd move to, uh, where were we? Keysborough. So yeah. it was all like around the Oakley Go-Kart Club. So we're going to there and Todd Road like flat out like all the time. So they moved warehouses during that time? During the time. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it was crazy. All yeah. hands on deck for that. But um, but yeah, I'd say the, the development on that was also to Tom Williamson, who you had on the show, he did a lot of the development too, or main, more, mainly more so the testing. Yeah. So a lot of the development stuff was myself and, and Hossack. And then, yeah, we'd give the carts out to people to, uh, to drive. So anyways, um, 
Yeah, at the same time as I was working there, racing go-karts became my job too. So they were employing me to race, paying for all my stuff, uh, which then made karting affordable. Mm. And that's when I really saw my success. So when I started winning, you know, national championships, state championships, and got to go over to the world championship as well, which is really cool. Where was the world's at? So at, at Le Mans in France. Yeah, yeah. right. So you yeah. went to France to, to race. Yeah, it was it was awesome. We uh, was in a category we'd never done, so in X30, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep. And I was in like club and line, you know, K100. And um, anyways, went over there in X30 and we polled it on debut, which is really cool. But then uh, got taken out turn one by like just some young kid yeah. who was also, you know, having his early days in senior categories, but he crashed into me to turn one, spun me around. I had about a field of like 40 carts pile into me and we broke the cart off. So Holy shit. Do you have a sp- do you have any spares in the world though? Like did you get another cart out and have to start from the back or? Yeah, so we were with the uh, Cosmic Factory team. Yep. Um, so there was that an would, abundance of carts. That would so. have been with like a connection through DPE, wouldn't it? Uh, it was, so it was through IAMI. So Remo Luciani, who's another advocate of mine, someone who helped my motorsport career a lot, uh, yep. get me going in carts. Yeah, so we had a partnership with him going as well, but because he's the IAMI distributor here in Australia, uh, he always tees that stuff up. So, yeah, when you win the Australian Championship here, basically Karting Australia gives you a bit of cash to go overseas and then it guarantees you entry and then, like, Remo from my army, he will support that as well. So, yeah. yeah. Karting's change a lot. Like, you've said we'll come into the studio today and I basically raced 2010 below and you've raced above and then gone yeah. into karts. But, like – it's it's the whole thing's changed. Like I'm used to the whole Yamaha era. Like you would have been that at the age of seven. Well, how old are you when at the age of seven back then? Oh. So I started cutting in 2004 when I was seven. Okay. Um, so I went through, yeah, I had comas. So yeah. midgets, I had midgets rookies and then went to junior light, junior clubman, all that sort of stuff. And then, uh, yeah, it was in club and light with the Yamaha for, let's say, two years, yeah. three years. And then uh, we went to the IAMI. So, yeah, it was actually another product I did development on as well, the um, IAMI K100. Through my relationship with Remo, that is so. Yeah, we got we got to go back. We'll go back to the racing stuff later. But you got to tell me about like Sony and the boys, like with the with the obviously the whole the whole um, thing with the crookheads basically surprised me and Brooke. Like it's just it's a total different thing because you just got that aura around you with the, at the racetrack where you're not just like a driver. Thanks. You've bro. also got you know what I mean. Like you <laughs> yeah. got both that's going on and like Brooke was like going, man, this guy is amazing. Like, Multi-talented. Yeah, you're yeah. across both. But I think did you ever use like did you you mentioned you had several jobs. Was there any jobs that you were doing like in the bands or in music like as you were doing carts and that that helped fund things as well? Uh, through the band, no. So any of the money that we raised, any of the revenue generated for the band, we just put back into the band and yep. reinvested it and also put in money for ourselves. Yeah. Um, or from ourselves more so. So, uh, yeah, like never any – we'd make good money, but we'd spend it all really just trying to get the band yeah, off the ground. So completely understand that. Yeah, yeah. but, um, but yeah, like it's yeah, – you know, it wasn't that busy of a schedule doing both at the same time. Like everyone's like, oh, how do you have time for both? But the band stuff is always at night time and there's three other people plus like, you know, we've got like a management team and stuff like all that sort of people, you know, those people yeah. to help get everything off the ground. So it was little work for us other than writing and then we'd rehearse in the studio every Monday. Yep. Um, other than that, like it's fine. Like I've I've raced during the day and played gigs at night. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you so. found the balance being able to do both. Yeah. 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 It's, not, it's not too bad. Like it sounds crazy. Um, yeah. But yeah, not to discredit or anything. Yeah. But like it's, it was. Yeah. Pretty, it was pretty crazy. So you were yeah. cart. So some weekends you'd be karting and then going straight to a gig and then coming back to karts. Would you do that some weekends? <sighs> I'm trying to remember where, but like it was actually a Super Two. No, Super Three race. I think. Yep. Yeah, maybe like Super 3 Sandown. I did a couple races, Super 3, 4, Super 2. Yeah. And uh, I think it was maybe Super 3 Sandown. I, um, yeah, I think I played on the Saturday night. So I raced, played, and then went back and raced on the Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And with your, with your, have you ever any, like had any favorite tracks that you've done, like with the, with the band or anything like that? Do you have a specific song that basically were like, this is a good song, this will make a good hit? Yeah. The most recent one that we put out, 
maybe six weeks ago called Frame of Mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's just gone really well. It sort of transformed our band. So our Spotify numbers are going really well. We've got a rotation on Triple J, sort of something we've been trying at for a while yeah. and uh, getting some real big opportunities from that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's yeah, that's probably been our, our biggest one. Other than that, there was an old one called Love, which we don't play anymore, but it's got the – this is the sexiest riff and I just love playing it. So <laughs> just slapping the bass, like all that sort of like cool, all the cool stuff, solos, like soaring vocals. Yeah. yeah. Did you look up to any musicians growing up though? Like when you like to in, get into music? Cause it's kind of like with race cars, right? People, a lot of people in cars look up to Etten Center, for example. Did you look up to any Pacific bands or, or artists or anything like that to get you into it or not? Yeah, like really? As a Aussie kid, you know, you love Akadaka and stuff like that. The yeah. Eagles, which I saw, there's uh, a bit of memorabilia if the Eagles here. Is, <laughs> yeah. is it a gold record or something like that getting around? It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, there was no, like, one particular musician. Like, when I was that old, I wasn't looking into the band members. I was just looking at the band. But yeah. probably the biggest thing was um, my co- one of my cousins, he played uh, bass and then my next door neighbor, who actually got me into go-karts, he yeah, right. played guitar. And I just wanted to be like them. They're so cool. Like they're older and they wear cool stuff and, you know, they're playing cool stuff. I was like, oh, I just want to be like them. So I was like, yeah, I'll get into guitar. So it's pretty much because oh, yeah. they have no like particular big musician or anything like that. Just, you know, family and friends. Yeah. So wait, your next door neighbor who got you into music also got you into karting. Yeah. Is that right. how it worked? Yeah. yeah you got to so, tell me, you got to tell me more right. of that story. All right. So <laughs> I actually wanted to get into motorbikes. So I've yeah. been to the Crossy Demons and I was like, oh, these guys, they're sick. And yeah. I was like, oh, I just want to do flips like that. And at the time I was riding scooters and bikes and like actually doing flips on those as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, my mom and dad were like, nah, man, like we've seen you on a bike and a scooter, you're going to kill yourself to get your bike. And I'm like, damn it, I'm like pissed off. <laughs> um, but then at the same time, our next one neighbor moved in, he had a go-kart. Yeah. And um, at around about the same time, I'd also been to the Formula One Grand Prix. Okay. And uh, for the first time ever, and I was like, wow, like sort of fell in love, you know, yeah. just loved any Do you remember who won that race by any chance? Oh, I don't. Or oh, do you remember any iconic moments? Was that the year where they, where Button blew the fire at the back? I was at that one. Oh, perhaps. I can't remember. Like I was that yeah. little man. I could yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I really remember. As actually did a bit of a side story here. I'll digress for yeah, a moment. That's all right. Um, I, there is a key thing I remember about that event and we were leaving and it was packed as, and you know, I just fell in love with Ferrari Yeah, and I walked past the Ferrari merch stand and there was this big, great big flag. And I was like, oh, I want that for my bedroom. Yeah. And dad's like, no, we're going home. He's a grumpy or whatever. I was like, yeah. oh, like we walk along for a bit and I'm like, you know what? Like screw this. Like what, what's he going to do? Like leave me behind if I turn around. <laughs> so I walked and I went and stood behind the Ferrari merch thing and waited for him to get there and told the lady like, Oh yeah, oh, that's a flag I'm getting. Dad's coming now. <laughs> so like she, <laughs> dad gets there and she's standing there. I've got the flag in my hand. She's like got the payment ready to go. Dad's yeah. just like, Oh, Oh, then buys a flag. <laughs> it was pretty expensive for a memory, but I still got the flag at home. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's probably the most key thing I remember about that event. But anyways, so we'll get back to how I got into that from that. Anyways, so next one ever moves in and he's got a go-kart and it just looked the same to me. Mm. It's got big tyres, you know, it's got like bodywork on it. I thought it was a Formula 1 car. Yeah, right. So I was like, oh, cool. Like yeah, the next one ever's got a Formula 1 car. Yeah. And Dad actually surprised me. He brought it like a cheap $500 go-kart from Melbourne Kart Centre and then, yeah. Brought it home and surprised me. So that's how I got into go karts. Do you remember what it looked like and the characteristics? I've, I've asked yeah, this on a few interviews. Like, is it just retro? Was it full retro? Yeah, man. Yeah, so sweet. Didn't have a nose cone, so we had to get one to put on it. Yeah. Um, so when I started karting, it was around when nose cones weren't being used, but they were just getting brought in. Yeah. And uh, it was a Birrell, which is traditionally red, yeah. but it had blue bodywork. And um, yeah, it pretty much didn't run when we got it. She's all rusted up, but we, you know, fixed it up and got it going. And, 
Yeah, that was when I fell in love. Had a, a 25 mil solid axle, yeah, which is obviously <laughs> non-existent these yeah. days. The smallest axle is like 40 mil in the juniors, or 30 in the cadets, but yeah, not solid. Yeah. I managed to bend the thing somehow one day, which I have no idea how. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's wow. crazy. And you, did you go out there like with your dad, just doing laps after laps to get good, or did you kind of go between the music thing and and your schooling? And did you were you full like were you full into your racing at the start, or were you just like that's a thing to lean back on to see if I like it and like type of thing? Do you know what I mean? Like just just a kid, you know. I was like seven years old. I was full send to whatever I could do. So you know, I was playing playing the music and you know just sort of at home really. Yeah. But then trying to get in the go-kart as much as possible. But dad had a business back then and he was like super snowed under and busy with that. Yeah. So we'd sort of just go karting whenever we could to start. And then, um, yeah, when he had a bit more free time, then we started going a little bit more. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about your, like the McLean family and how big it is? And do you have like big family Christmases? That's another thing that I normally yeah. ask on some podcasts. It is, it is a big family. So my dad's from New Zealand and he grew up in a family of 13. So 11, um, 11 like siblings running around. Yep. Uh, so I've got like something like 36 cousins like over there in New Zealand. Holy um, shit. But everyone lives over there pretty much. So yeah, like we have family Christmas over here from my mum's side. So she's South African. So yeah, both parents from overseas. Yep. Um, and yeah, so all of our stuff over here is all South African stuff. Um, but yeah, I get to go over to New Zealand a little bit, see yeah. family, but not as much as what I should really. I, to be honest, I'm just too busy. So yeah. Do you know how? Yeah. Do, you, do you know the love story? How they met? Did, did they tell you? Like, did, have they shown you like the yeah. old wedding album? And yeah, oh, I this, do. Have I, they told you any cringe so, stories? Yeah, <laughs> I yeah I do know how they met. Yeah. So dad was on a date and he got stood up. Yeah. And then he met mum that night. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then his he, me pops out a few years later. So, yeah, right. Yeah, wow. but yeah it, is, it is a weird one. It's a pretty cool one, I guess. But they're not together now, so I suppose it wasn't for the best. But yeah, right. <laughs> maybe oh, so not your, the right your, circumstances. Your parents so. are divorced, are they? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they separated uh, back in 2018. Yeah, okay. So yeah. what's, what are we now? So like five years ago. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, you don't feel too left out because mine are divorced. Oh, my, my original parents are divorced and my yeah. stepdad's come along to help me. But yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, kind of explains you with your, I guess, your whole racing thing where – Obviously, families do fall apart, but you can still make the racing and the sport work and even the music to get people energizing like yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's just a kid. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You're right. Like I have both mum and dad there at the race shack or when mum can, you know, all the yeah. local stuff she'll come to. She came to watch me at Townsville and then I did end up racing last year, so it was pretty disappointing. But yeah. I actually had so many people come up to Townsville to watch me race and and they pulled the pin like a week before. So that sucked, but yeah. that's the game we're in. Like it's a lot of money to come up with. So yeah. yeah. You've you've obviously stay, still stayed in the supercar game though when you've had things fall out of budget and, you know, you've been racing and whatnot like that to keep to keep obviously, obviously everything going. Do you know what I mean? Like you did, I think, a bit of, bit of thing with Charlie Bullis. Do you know what I mean? You're like you've, you've been still socially media. You've been still active on social media despite, you know, obviously not racing due to budget shortfall or whatnot. Yeah, well, exactly. So at the Townsville event, because it got pulled so last minute, um, like I always planned to go anyway when I, you know, obviously because I was going to race, but when I wasn't racing, I'm like, all right, I'm still going to go up. I'm going to work in the team, still just be around it, mm. learn as much as I can, as I can, get my hands dirty, whatever else. And then in between that was doing some media commitments with supercars. So yeah. that was pretty good. Got to do a little bit of stuff in the main game field and then obviously covered the Super 2 stuff on like Twitter and doing interviews, all that, all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's good to cut my teeth doing that. I actually really enjoy the stuff. Uh, yeah. something that I'd look to do certainly after finish racing, yeah. uh, but I have some unfinished business clearly yeah. um, and hopefully a lot creative. Me. So yeah. yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, I do enjoy the stuff. Like, you know, get to talk to people, be social, you know, it's, it's yeah. a bit of fun really. You got to tell me more about your other jobs though. So you got the drop, you obviously yeah. worked for the karting. Yeah. You, you work for galvanize. Galvanize. Is that, is that another job? Or? Yeah. 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 All right. So when I, 
we'll go back to the DP thing. So pretty much I stopped working for them because I stopped getting a, a wage from carding and I had to tip back in. And I like I was earning good money at DPE, but mm. without the racing as an extra, I wasn't earning quite enough to be able to spend on what was required for carding. Yeah. So I got an offer from Energy Course. Mm. Um, so I know the guy that uh, – so Damien Flack, he used to race all his racing cars with his brother, Adrian. Yeah. Um, he, his son's in racing too. Yeah, Marcus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he races um, – I don't know, you think he's on Porsche this year or something? Yeah, he's a good yeah. little driver. Anyways, uh, he was starting up Energy Course uh, over here. And then, um, yeah, just through talking to him because we were friends, mentioned that I was going to leave. And he's like, oh, mate, like, I'll take you. He's like, really? He's like, yeah, I'll pay you double. I'll pay for you to race still. I'll pay you to race. And then you could be general manager during the week. Uh, let's get this thing off the ground. So I worked there for six months in that role. Mm. But then it was shortly after the new year when I got that opportunity from Terry Wyhoon yep. to hop in the Super 3. And then very quickly realized, you know, the money that I was making uh, at the job whilst it was still good was going to be a small fraction of what I needed to go racing. So I just quit any sort of work. I stopped doing my driver training. I stopped working um, and racing for Energy Course. Mm. And then just went full send, just networking and trying to build up my skills so I can basically poach sponsors really. Yeah. Well, not poach more, so get sponsors, yeah. How do you like learn, obviously out fresh out of a go-kart to learn how to like drive a supercar because that would be quite intimidating. Unless, do you know what I mean? Like some people struggle which is clearly seen in, in some racing aspects of seeing how they transition from a cart to a car and then some just don't like the car and they go back to carts. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. how did you quickly adapt to that? Did you learn on the fly on the test day? Like was there any certain way that image racing taught you how to drive a supercar or anything? Yeah, so like I don't want to discredit what I've achieved in that sense, but it really wasn't as hard as what it sounds. Yeah. And that's purely because I didn't have any like habits that I developed from other categories, not that I'm saying that other carries a bad thing. They're clearly yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but because I never had the opportunity to go and do like a Formula Ford or XL or like Porsche or whatever, mm. uh, I didn't develop any bad habits. So basically all I did was I got some footage from a mate from um, Jimmy Golding yeah. and uh, he was just like, look, do everything about that and you'll be fine. So I studied that like crazy for like two weeks, rocked up and just did pretty much everything thereabouts and we were on the pace straight away. Like we were on old tires and only a few tens off the lap record at that point. Having said that, when we did race there, that – Strength of field, I guess you'd call it if we're doing iRacing. Yeah. Um, the strength of field for Super 3 when it was the first Super 3 Series 2019 was really high and we went like two seconds under lap record. But still, like, you know, we were on the pace straight away mm. and I don't think it's like I'm not sitting here saying I'm the best driver ever. It's yeah. just I didn't have any, you know, predisposed habits I had to get rid of. And, you know, if I just looked at the footage and the data and thought, all right, break here, accelerate there, turn this much, try and do it around about that, that'll be a starting point and I can build on it from there. Yeah, and with your, with your racing, do, are you in it, like, are you – do you like sprint cars or speedway around in the, in the off season or you're just more of a, like a tar guy? Yeah, I do like it, but you know, it's the opportunity is going to be there and I certainly yeah. can't allocate any funds to anything oh, else no, in I'm, my I'm life. I'm talking about like, do you like watching speedway? Oh yeah. I used to go all the time as a kid, but yeah. to be honest, like I don't really have any time for leisure at the moment. Like, yeah. other than the, like the band stuff for me would work as a bit of leisure. Yeah. I'd get to play a gig and then, you know, maybe I'll have a couple of beers afterwards and then go home or, you know, maybe we'll have a big one here or there yeah. after a good show. But yeah, it's like, I don't really have time for any of that stuff. Because yeah, um, right. of those jobs we we're going to talk about before. Yeah. Oh, no, we can still talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so keep, keep, go, keep going with the job. All right. So at the moment, um, yeah, so Galvanized Insurance is someone, I'm a business development and marketing manager for them. Yeah. And the best thing about that relationship is I get uh, commission back from deals that I bring on really, and that goes towards my racing. They also sponsor me, so that's a really good relationship. Um, there's a business called um, MIR Raceline Australia, who you remember MIR yeah, from the karting yeah. days, of course. Yeah. Uh, so they're back in business now. And I, I bought the business a couple of years ago uh, just to make a little bit of passive income. It generated maybe about 10 or 
20 grand a year that I could pump back into my racing or, or just use as money to be able to eat food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I ended up selling that to one of my sponsors last year. Yeah. So I'm employed to be the general manager for them uh, now and they're on the car as well. Yeah. And then there's a new company that I got sponsored by at Sandown last year uh, called Tops Products Australia. It's a roof uh, company. It's a really good product, to be honest. Yeah. It's like an all-in-one solution um, to if you need to re-roof because your roof's leaking. Uh, we can essentially just coat your roof with our products and it'll stop it leaking. It won't leak forever. We get yeah. like a 15-year warranty on the thing and I have a commission basis with them too. So yeah. Yeah, they sponsor me and then I, yeah, basically my role there is business development manager in Melbourne. So we got a guy in uh, South Australia and a guy in Sydney yep. and then yeah, I handle Melbourne. So yeah. you got to tell me how you got, Obviously, you were talking about my helmet before, but I used to race Jay Robson back in the day, and I saw. Yeah. I was like, I yeah. swear that's Jay Robson's helmet. You got to tell me how that whole weird story happened. Yeah, so I've been like best friends with Jay for ages since karts. Like as soon as we met, we became really good friends. And uh, obviously, he was racing and then stopped. Yeah, and um, that was around about the time that I was getting in. Mm. So I originally in Super Three borrowed a helmet from Jimmy Golding, mm. and then needed obviously a newer spec to go and uh, run in Super Two. Yeah, and uh, Jay was like, "Man, I'm not racing." use my super two helmet i just couldn't afford to buy one they're like five grand for a helmet and then yeah. like you know if you're gonna get paint it's gonna be more it's just another expense for me it's like hard enough for me to be able to put food on the table and go racing as yeah. it is rather than get a helmet so i just ran like borrowed hand-me-down gear for the first two years until obviously you know, i could get some free gear from mir yeah uh and then obviously i still borrowed jay's helmet and his hands device like that's like 1500 bucks or two grand for the carbon one we have to use so it's like does it's a whole out, lot of money does he come out and watch you yeah, he uh, he came to where he came came out to Sandown one and watch, which is good. Mm. And he's maybe made it out to another one. Yeah. yeah, but he lives up in Queensland now, so yeah, he's like flown to a couple just to come watch. So yeah, yeah right. it's really cool. Yeah, Brooke, Brooke did a bit of studying on your music career. You can you you had some interesting questions, didn't you, Brooke? Oh, well, I guess we could start with um before you joined, like you said, Sunny'd already started it. Was yeah. there a, a story behind the name, the Crookeds? It just sounded cool. Yeah, love <laughs> yeah. it, love it. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Like yeah. I think they were just like partying one night. Yeah. Like it was probably early hours in the morning and they're just brainstorming and someone was probably like, oh, I'm feeling a bit crooked. And then one of the boys was like, the crookeds. Like, yeah, I love oh, that. That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, that's it's when it clicks. It. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like I liked it too. Like when I when I first heard of the band, I was like, oh, I've heard of that. Like it kind yeah. of sounds like something you've heard of already. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, so it sort of just got ran with. Um, for a while. So that's cool. That's yeah. where the name comes from for that. Yeah. Um, and you have to tell us like how we, we've heard, we've, we've read about how like Aaron came into the band and Oscar. I think yeah. Aaron's story is particularly interesting how you pick, you guys picked him up. Can you go into like how you convinced him to join the band? Like, yeah. So yeah. pretty much uh, like when Sonny and I were trying to find, we were trying to find a drummer originally mm -hmm. and we had a bunch of people that wanted to come and play. And we we're just trying to pick the right person. And we had a, like a, a kid at yep. the time message uh, at Melbourne or our post on a Melbourne musicians page. And was like, yeah, I'm looking for a band. And we are, uh, we looked at his like a Facebook, like, okay, like we'll get him. It's a funny story for the, for him, Oscar, the drummer actually, because on the day of it, Sonny rings me up and he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, have you looked at his photos on, on Facebook? Like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like, I don't know about this guy, man. And I'm like, oh, like, yeah, I get you. But I feel like it would be pretty disrespectful to judge this by, you know, guy yeah, by his but, photos. You don't yeah, want to judge a book by its cover. So I was like, let's give him a crack. And Sonny's like, oh, like, you know, it's, we can call it off. I'm like, <laughs> what, hang on, what made you nervous about his photos? Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, just, <laughs> I don't know. They just, they weren't that good. Like, yeah. <laughs> Were you worried again, he was going like, to party too much or? No, he just like, I don't know. Like he just, he certainly looked really young. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, you which went, like, yeah. yeah. And just among other things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah, like, I guess like you got to 
look the part. I'm not saying like, you know, oh, I'm yeah. so sexy, I look the part. But like, yeah. you got to kind of look the part to be an abandoned. At the time, Oscar didn't. Now he's like one of the sexiest guys ever. So yeah. like it works out well. But yeah, um, but yeah anyway, so we got, we got him in and uh, we didn't have a guitarist. Mm-hmm. So we met Aaron at the local music store. And suddenly he was like, oh, join. And he was like, no, nah, like, you know, I'm kind of just can't be bothered. And he was a really good guitarist. We heard him play at the store and he kept on hassling him. We ended up getting another guitarist who eventually ended up, um, I think we sort of ended up getting rid of him. But uh, around the same time, Aaron was like, all right, fine, I'll join. So just after like probably 12 months of convincing, every time we go to Sky Music <laughs> yeah. down in uh, Springvale in Melbourne, there would be like hassling Azza. And yeah, so anyways, he ended up joining. So he ended up leaving as well. So I've, I've left now too yeah. Yeah. recently. But yeah, Aaron left a while ago. We got a new uh, guitarist in, Brad Viviano, who was really good. And um, yeah, like it was just, it, it tied in really well like when Brad joined. So he was a longtime friend of, um, of both myself and Sonny. And uh, it was just a real seamless transition to get him in the band. So it was really good. You got to tell you got to tell us some crazy like roadie stories and stuff like because oh. I, I remember seeing during lockdown <laughs> highlights I, I'd call it highlights <laughs> of you guys just doing some wild, I think I just went back on your Instagram page. you just were doing wild shit like to keep yourself entertained you know what I mean like, yeah there was like, oh, what was there one that I saw on social media there was one where they were like trying to shoot you with like beer cans or something you had to stand on something and balance to, to win a hundred dollars yeah yeah all right that's a pretty good one I'm, I'm glad that we're keeping it PG there's probably some <laughs> stuff that I'm not going to bring up on this podcast. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that's a, that was just a little promo video uh, that we did for a tour that we were doing yeah. um, for a single with Reese at the time. I think never get it. So yeah. every time we do a single, we'd pretty much do an East Coast tour. We'd like start at like Brisbane, then go Goldie and then Newcastle, Sydney, finish off in Melbourne. Mm. And uh, around the same time, Sonny bought himself a gel blaster which yeah. is actually illegal in Victoria, but I think perhaps legal in like Queensland or something. Yeah. He like got it sent down from there. I thought it'd be a funny idea. Like we're trying to think of a good way that we could read out the tour dates and people actually listen. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> all right, well, Oscar's the widest. So like, why don't we get him to try and read out the tour dates and we blast him with this gel blaster because like the welts are going to show up the best on him. Yeah. Like Sonny's got all over skin. Like I got like kind of brown skin and yeah. Azra as well also had brown skin. So I was like, all right, like let's, let's just blast Oscar with it because it'll, it'll show up straight away. Yeah. We did a little test run and his welt showed up in a matter of like one5 five seconds so we're like all right perfect and so yeah we pretty much stood him on top of a brick and he had to try and balance on the brick and we just blasted him with a gel blaster while he read the dates and it actually oh got God. like a, a massive amount of reach it went really well like yeah. every location we went to we had a bunch of fans like talking about like oh we saw the video like you blasted him with a gel blaster like it was it was really funny but um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's definitely not one of the wildest stories that we've oh, got. Like, well, but, this this but podcast isn't PG, by the way. So you I can know. go. You guys do, I know. You can I've got one. Is there ever a fan that's done something like that's really like throwing you out? And you thought, what the hell is this? Yeah, uh, like we've had stalkers and stuff like go pretty hectic. No yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, like cat, yeah. like trying yeah, to yeah. catch us like outside of um outside of gigs, like just sort of yeah, following us to a, a little amount, like nothing crazy, but like yeah, you know yeah, we'd yeah. be going back to uh to like somewhere after a show or something like that. And like, we try and be discreet about it and just mm. catch up with the bands that we're with. Yeah. And then like, we've had, yeah, like we've had girls like follow us back. Um, and like we've had guys follow us back. Yeah. Sort right. Of thing wow. And try and like come in and we're like, you know, like it's, it's not okay. You can't like follow someone. It's like pretty illegal. <laughs> yeah. so, like, Have you yeah. had any of that crossover then into like the, when you're at supercars, are those same fans then trying to uh, like, are they approaching you there because um, they're band fans? 
No, like the band people don't come to the racing. The racing people come to the band stuff, but everyone from racing is so lovely. So yeah, like, yeah so it's actually really good. So yeah, I've, I've actually had a lot of crossover fans from racing come to uh, the yep. music stuff as well. Like a fair p- uh, portion of the fans do. I could nearly say like, you know, five or 10%. Yep. Uh, but everyone's awesome. Like everyone's yeah. just so lovely and, you know, they're just really good people. So that, that the racing side of things, like it's it's good. But yeah, yeah um, but just had some, definitely had some odd experiences uh, with the yeah. music ones. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah, like a, a funny story is actually, we have a brother, Bill had, and obviously I'm not in the band anymore, which mm. I'm sure we'll get to, but, um, our brother band, uh, is a band called Wicked Things. They're based here in Sydney, which is who I've lived with, uh, in Petersham when I lived here in yeah. 2021 for a few months. Um, we were on tour and we had a show in like Newtown or something mm. like yeah. that. I was at the Botany View Hotel. Anyways, yeah. we had a band pull out last minute cause the, the singer like broke his ankle or something like that. Yeah. And um, we decided, like, looking at pages around, like, different venues and just trying to find a band. So Oscar at the time, the drummer, was, like, sort of running the show for us and he's messaged, like, literally everyone. And uh, I was talking to a girl in uh, Queensland who's a band we'd played with before and I just mentioned, like, oh, we're so stressed, like, this has happened. And she's like, oh, dude, don't worry. Like, message these guys. They're always down to play. Like, they'll cancel whatever they're doing to play. I'm like, all right. So, like, we messaged them and they, like, message back within, like, 30 seconds. Like, yep, we'll be there. (laughs) And, um... So we're at the venue like setting up and we're like sitting in the green room. So like we in music, we call like the green, yep. obviously, yeah. you know, Brooke, but the green room is like sort of where the musos hang out. Like we've got like, you know, our drinks and food and stuff like that and something yeah. like backstage, right? So we're chilling in the green room and these guys, uh, they, they walk up the stairs and they open the door to the green room and they all turn to each other and they're like, whoa. And then they're like, like talking yeah. to each other. And then we're like at the same time, like doing the same thing. And they walk <laughs> in, they're like, finally, a fucking band that looks like a band. And we start <laughs> laughing because we're like, dude, we're just saying the yeah. same thing about you. Because like, yeah, like, you know, when you're, when you're putting on a show, you got to put on a show. Like, I, I know like music's also about feeling yeah. your soul and, and beat about how you feel, but like, you, you know, you, you want to kind of look all right and to some aspect. Right. Yeah. And we sort of at that time had a really bad run with like people just like, just not, I feel like it kind of no. felt like disrespect to a point. Like it was kind of not bad. putting the effort into what they look like. Kind of like, <laughs> so for me, yeah. obviously I'm like, I'm, I'm a bit of a muser, but not like Brooke, but like, yeah. as you said, like the Eagles over there or like, yeah. you know, kiss, like what you guys were doing, you were dressing like an actual, I understand from that point. Yeah, well, to be honest, that's just the stuff that we wear day to day. But, like, like, you know, that is always in mind when we're going on stage. Like, we want to feel ourselves, but we also kind of want to, like, respect probably whatever venue we're at. Like, we played a few high-profile venues and just had, like, people coming in, like, just not looking good, like, that were playing for us. Uh, Anyway, so, yeah, we saw these guys and we we laughed because of that. Um, and we sort of like hit it off straight away, really. So this band is actually four brothers. They're all be- like they're all in the same band. There's only brothers in the band. Wow, it's uh, it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's really awesome. So there's another little side story to that. Is their uh, yeah. their grandfather is Paul Hogan, so crocodile. Oh tunnel. wow, no <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, man. No way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I'm supposed to. No, that's fine. That's fine because I've actually I've actually met him. It's all good. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. I'll, I'll so, tell you a story to that though. So yeah. that's interesting. So Paul Hogan, my parents were like. Basically, it's on the harbour and they were demolishing their house, yeah. right? Anyway, and I was, I think I was just working in the city at some point. And, and mum goes to me at one point, she's like, oh, hey, they're filming an ad because they're basically facing the Harbour Bridge. And you know, yeah. Paul Hogan did the shrimp on the Barbie ad yeah, many, yeah. many times in the 80s. Yeah. Anyway, and she's like. Ruined oh. being an Australian if you're over in America. Oh, throw a shrimp on the Barbie. Like, basically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've, I've come home and I'm just like, oh, whatever. And I'm just thinking it's like a, I'm basically thinking it's like a brand power ad because we had like that fancy, nice kitchen. So I'm like, oh. I'll just walk walk into my room and get changed. Anyway, mum goes, oh, 
by the way, don't be too starstruck, but when you get in, you'll probably see Paul Hogan. And I'm like, that's bullshit. Like there's no way that this dude's <laughs> yeah. in, our, in our place. And sure enough, I go into the kitchen just to get a snack and he's there right. and he's like, he's like, g'day, mate. And I'm like, dude, hey, you're Paul so Hogan. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's, there's this photo of me on Instagram. I'm like, I'm looking full dorky and I've just got in my thing. And he's like, he's actually a very chill dude. But So he's that's so awesome. Cool, man. He did a movie like two years ago. He's like in his 80s. He's jumping out of a bloody plane. Like, yeah. Oh, God, He's yeah. just a machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, so, so like, so they're, they're they're related to Paul Hogan. That's yeah, that's their mum's dad. Yeah, full right. grandpa man. Like, wow, yeah, he comes over a lot of him like a fair few times. He's an absolute legend, man. Yeah, so he had just gone back home. Actually, he comes over for Christmas every year. So yeah. I think he went home like a week ago or something like that. Yeah, right. But yeah, but anyway, so that's the like they're the like our brother Ben sort of thing. They're like nearly like my brothers. Mm. Anyway, so at the time we'd only just met. So we walk downstairs, we're watching like the first act and there's like the singer, he's like wearing thongs like on stage and um, the, the venue had put a really big effort into like dressing up the event for us. Mm. And there's like, he's wearing like thongs on stage and he was like dirty from, from work and had like paint all over him and stuff. And then like at one stage he like kicks his shoes off, he's like playing like barefoot. And um, I like turned to one of the brothers because two of them are twins, I turned to one of them, I'm like, man. I'm not saying I'm dressed better than this guy. I'm just saying I'm wearing shoes. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that was like sort of like the, the thing that kicked off our friendship. And after that, like we finished playing the show and these guys are insane and like they really enjoyed us. We stood on the street loading in our vans and stuff with all of our gear and uh, we just got chatting for a while until we look at our phones and it's 4.30. We'd been standing on the side of the road for four hours chatting. We just got along that long. 4.30 a.m.? Yeah, man. So, like, oh. we stopped. We probably loaded in at 12.30 yeah. and then, boom, it's 4.30 a.m. We're like, what the heck? we got to go to bed because we got yeah. a show tomorrow. And so <laughs> wow. did they. Like, and the bromance was, began. The bromance <laughs> began. It was, yeah, it was crazy. And, like, we've been brothers since then. So, yeah, like, yeah. I, as I mentioned, like, I've lived with them up here, like, in their home in Belrose, like, not far yeah. from here. Um, in the North Beaches, then when they moved to Petersham, like I lived with them there too. And uh, yeah. Just so you got you got more of a like a friendship and relationship in Sydney anyway. Like I thought you were generally just going to come up here for a meeting, but you actually had, like as you said to me before on the phone when we were organising this, yeah. you know people all over Sydney. Like I just thought you just basically knew a few people in Sydney and we could go back home. But Yeah, no, I do know a lot of people because I've lived here really. So yeah. like these boys, they're from here. And then, you know, I met them. It was, uh, when did I meet them? It was like the end of 2019 or start of 2020 or something yeah. like that. And then COVID hit and that's when I moved up here yeah. uh, for six months. And yeah, so I was like hanging with them eight days a week sort of thing just because we're like best mates, you know. And um, you've curtain raised for, I think, Thirsty Merc as well. Yeah, we yeah. so the Crookers, we played um, for Thirsty Merc twice uh, last year, which is really cool. So it was sold out uh, at the corner there in Richmond, which is like a really renowned live music venue. So yeah. yeah, we, we played, we didn't open for them with the main support and then we had someone open for us. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that was awesome. Like it, we're good friends with those guys. Um, Ray Thistlethwaite, the singer. Yeah. And uh, he plays the like, guitar, a bit of keys. Like he's just, oh, he's an incredible musician. Like, yeah. like there's, you know, there's not many people that I would say musically that I've met and sort of just been blown away by, but this guy, man, like, Oh, yeah. like he's just incredible. I've seen no one that can play keys like him and yeah. he's just so musical and he's so yeah. awesome to hang out with. He's just a classic Aussie dude. And like he plays for some really, really big acts over in the US, like big musicians like uh, Joe Satriani and stuff. Like yeah. he's done a bit with Joe Bottom Massa, like these really good blues musicians, you know, like, yeah, he's just incredible. Yeah. You got to tell me more about like, obviously the music, I'm finding the whole music industry interesting because you finish at 12, you know, this is the one that you just said then and yeah. you're talking for 4am in the morning, but now, because you've te technically left, you know, the Crookheads right now, but does other bands talk to each other to get you in? Say if like you want to go back into another band, will they recruit you in or? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like the music industry, it's it's like the motorsport industry or any like sport or anything for that matter. Yeah. Like, you know, gossip spreads like wildfire, like people knew before mm. uh, we'd even announced it. Uh, so, yeah, I've had actually two really good opportunities with some pretty high-profile musicians, I won't say yeah, just yeah, yet. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, some really cool stuff. But for me, like um, there was a bit of a restructure in the band and ownership and stuff like that uh, going on. And um, it was sort of something that I you know, was going to have a lot less input going forward on like writing music or even just like getting profits from the band. And just with everything that's been going on in my racing career and uncertainty on what's going on this year, mm. uh, yeah, we just decided it's best to call it. Like I'd rather if I'm not going to be getting as much of a benefit yeah. uh, as what I have been the last five years for, uh, from this band thing, then I'm going to pull the pin and spend all my time, all my hours on uh, just making sure my racing career is solidified. So yeah. once we've got some more stuff going on the next uh, couple of months on that front, then, yeah, I'll, I'll probably look to pursue either of these two opportunities. But both of them are really good. So, so are you trying to decide now, like the focus is what Brooke was saying when we were studying on you, like, do you put all your F- eggs in a one basket for music and then you were like, I'll just take a break with that and then now this year, because you want to get it going, put all your eggs into Super 2 to try and get that. To like, does your, Is it hard for you to, like, change your focus? Because I've got autism, right? So it takes me, God, I don't know, like two, three laps to get in the car to get good again. But yeah. if if I'm doing one thing one week, I've got to do it the next week to get that repetition. Or is it for you, is it for you is it? bit of both or you don't really know um it's it's not too bad because like for me like they're both like a career drive and i get like asked all the time like oh you gotta pick one which do you choose i'm like no i don't mm. i can do both and i'm gonna do both they're like no but you gotta pick one yeah it's like oh, well you know I, if you're only good at one thing it doesn't mean i can't be good at two you know yeah. so like i've always wanted to do both but you know the racing requires far more resources far more time and money and effort mm. and it's you know a one-man party here carrying the whole thing so all of my time and resources has always gone into my racing and the music stuff takes care of itself so i think i mentioned before like you know we've got a few other band members to share the load we've yep. got like you know booking agents people like that um yeah, so it, it makes it a lot easier. The band sort of take care of itself in that in that manner. Yeah, and writing music like we would do together anyway in the studio, so it comes together pretty quickly. When we were at a band prac, which we do every Monday, so yeah. yeah, that was always the easy part. Yeah, uh, the racing is the hard part. So yeah, yeah that's you, all my eggs in that basket all the time. So for like now going forward with you because you're trying to get Super Two off the ground, and obviously maybe Bathurst Co Drive for example, you want to yeah. obviously go down that route to be a full time driver. Yeah, are you mapping out a way to? obviously like use a bit of like the music, the way you was explaining how the music industry works. Are you trying to like flip it to supercars to try and, I don't know, generate income, so, so to speak? Do you know what I mean? To try and get that to go to supercars. And obviously we've had guys on the couch, you've got managers and all that. Are you thinking of going down that route or you just want to try and like Scott Pye, for example, you you know Scott. Yeah. He basically does it all himself. Yeah. So are you are you going to down, go down that route or do you want to look for like a driver manager type of I I kind of like being my own manager. It was definitely hard at the start, uh, mm. like in Super 3, when I didn't have many skills yeah. uh, that I could bring to the table, just a bit of marketing experience pretty much when I was at DPE Car Technology. Yeah. So it was really hard to get started, but once I got the ball rolling and I've gotten a little bit better at it, I've got a really big network now, I like doing it all myself because at the end of the day, no one wants me to win more than me. Yeah. So you know, no one's going to work as hard as me on that front, mm. obviously. Um, having a manager would be good to tap into some connections and that sort of thing. Um, but to be honest, I kind of think that having a manager when you're a driver can be a bit of a wank. Yeah. Um, like I've, I've heard from team, I've heard team owners, like supercar team owners say the same thing. Like, come yeah. on, like 
get your shit together and do it yourself. Like you just drive in a car yeah. and then you're training and probably having lattes and riding bikes during the week. <laughs> like you've got time to manage yourself. Yeah. Uh, Roland Dane's someone that's always said that too. He's just yeah. like, you know, drivers having managers is a wank. Yeah. I'm definitely not against having it. Like, don't get me wrong here. I'm not, like, yeah. I'm not discrediting anyone. No, this, manager, is, that, this is, this is your opinion. Like, this, is, this is a podcast. We have all no, our opinions. Yeah. Yeah. And not to discredit anyone that has a manager. Um, yeah. Because like it was so hard to get the foundation of me being my own manager at the start. Yeah. And so many times I thought about like giving up and getting a manager. Yeah. Uh, but as I mentioned before, it's about finding the right person and yeah. ensuring that they're going to be putting in the right effort. Because mm. if I step back and then probably just do a bit more training, ride more bikes and drink more lattes, yeah. then, um, <laughs> then someone's got to be doing all that work. And then yeah. if it doesn't work out, then someone else is to blame. Yeah. So if now if anything goes wrong, then it's all my fault. Really, yeah. and I kind of like it that way. Yeah. Does, is so. Are you and Jimmy Golding mates since you were six, seven? Basically, is that how that relationship happened or friendship happened? To that, obviously, the karting enduro. Like, you got to explain the whole Jimmy Golding thing. Because yeah, for sure. We like, tagged him in an Instagram post today. Uh, no, that's why. That's basically yeah. why. Because yeah, Hernie yeah. mentioned him. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, cool, cool. You, you guys both. He does DJing. You do obviously, you know, a rock band. So. Yeah. How did that whole friendship happen when you were young? Yeah, like we started in karts together. We raced at Morwell. Mm. Um, and he was really good then and he'd never lose. He could smoke everyone all the time. Yeah. So my our dads are racing against each other in common over forties too. Yeah. So oh, we're in midgets, they're in common over forties. So, so they were racing against each other. Yeah, yeah. So it was like a bit of a family friendship. Um I a friendship, like I'd say, just due to like I never did any open meetings or anything like that until I was old enough to get a job, like 14, nine months, really. I did a yeah. couple here and there, but we never had the money to go and do any bigger stuff. So, like, our friendship has probably, like, gone in waves over the years where, like, we were friends as, like, kids and then we, like, didn't see each other for years and started hanging out again, like, maybe, like, five years ago and then sort of, like, don't anymore. So it's, like, sort of, like, a bit like that. But, like, for us, like, or for me, probably more so, like, he he was the one that gave me the footage and helped me with getting up to speed uh, in the super three thing. Mm. And that helped me out a lot. Like if I didn't have any footage to look at, then I probably wouldn't have gone so good straight away. Mm. And then, you know, like I probably wouldn't have impressed Terry that much and got all the help that I got from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So have you, have you looked on back on Terry Wyhern's like archives? Cause he's yeah, like man, a teaser. Te- he would have had yeah. some cool shit in his shop. Big time, like, big time. like he was a NASCAR driver. Yeah. He was a NASCAR driver and geez, he's done a, a NASCAR, Oscar, privateer cup back in the day. Yeah, man. He's yeah. a champ. Yeah. He's done yeah. some cool things. Like he's definitely someone to look up to mm. and someone that I will always cherish and appreciate. Like without him, I would never have driven a supercar and I would never be doing what I'm doing now. And this is mm. all I've ever wanted to do my whole life. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, it's something I never thought was possible. And then through yeah. someone like Terry and, you know, a close friend of mine, Bill Caracolis, through those two getting me into it, I'm, you know, doing what I'm doing now. And so. you're, you're a part of Betty Clemenko's Erebus Academy. Is that correct? Yeah. So that was when, so when I started um, the race with Terry was when they first had the Erebus partnership. So yeah, there was like a bit of an Erebus Academy thing going on, mm. but I could only, uh, like Terry helped me obviously starting to get racing, but I still had to come to the table financially. Mm. So I sold, like I had a few cars, I sold them all and cleaned out my savings. And then managed to get a little bit of sponsorship, but only enough to get through a couple of races. So we, I wasn't able to race after that mm. until I did 2020 Super 2 with Matt Charter. Yeah. Um, which was, they, they helped me out a lot as well. Like a seriously cheap deal just to get me out there. It was really good, but we had a lot of mechanical dramas. So we'd never really... Like I think it completed about half the laps because mm. um, it was like a, you know, we got the car last minute and just got it together. Like we. You debuted uh, at Bathurst, didn't you? Yeah, did debut yeah. at Bathurst. Yeah. That, but that's a scary place to debut, by the way. 
Like yeah. it's a, that's a big intimidating place basically for anyone. Yeah, you know it mean? wasn't like it wasn't that bad. Like I'd driven on the sim and to be honest, it's pretty close. Yeah. So um, I'm not a sim racer. Brooke knows like, this. I struggle yeah. on the sim. Like, really? I, yeah, yeah, like I don't I just basically like, I'm racing there at the Torvera and the Formula Ford in, in a few weeks or in nice. a week. Yeah. And cool. but for me, I don't I don't use the sim. So I just turn yeah. up at the track and just hope to go good, basically. Yeah. But like there's a lot of you guys who just hop on the sim and like, oh, you know, I just learned it really quickly. But well, to be honest, I don't ever have the time to go on the sim and I don't even have one. I just like assemble one or borrow one for the E-Series every year. Yeah. So I played a lot as a kid. So I'd, I'd race um, kart racing pro because yep. um, I was in go-karts and then I was doing like skip barber on iRacing. Yep. And then I'd stopped that pretty much maybe like 2012 or 2013 when I just like grew up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so pretty much only started again um, doing some laps before Bathurst in 2020. Yeah. So I uh, just like borrowed a bit, a bunch of gear and did some sim laps at my mate's house in Sydney. And then, yeah, only only do it every year for the E-Series and supercars. Like that's it. Like I don't have a sim or anything like that. I just, you know, borrow one off a mate and go set up at his. So my friend I mentioned before, Bill Caracolis, I went to his house and set up like I brought all like my promo gear and sat it around. I was just in his garage, man, like doing the yeah. E-Series because I don't have the gear. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't really get to try is that, it. Either, is that the next door neighbor? No, no. no that, sorry, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned before, but he's someone that I used to coach in go-karts. And okay. then I got him up, gone up to speed and he was just stoked with the results and he'd come to go-kart races and watch me. And, yeah, that's that's how he sort of got talking to Terry Wahoon. Yeah, right. Yeah. You've got to explain to me, though, with like you've won numerous like national titles and heaps of titles in go-karts. Like yeah. it's very hard to win a national title in, in a go-kart against guys. You were, were you racing Dave Serra as well back then? And Yeah, so I raced against Dave. Uh, I have a few times at the Nationals. I raced in Vegas and then like in events like the Enduro. Yeah. City well, Melbourne, like these sort of one-offs more than the whole championships. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, race against him, race against James Serra, like Lee Nicolau, like all, all these, uh, Jordan Nicolau for that matter, yeah. Matt Wall, like all these like, you know, the best guys in the country. So like these are guys that I idolized like growing up mm. and then managed to be able to like race against them. And, you know, to at the same time, like I was hanging out with these guys like all the time too. So it was really cool for me to sort of be hanging out with my heroes. I was working for my hero, like Buck yeah. Price. Like I got to work with him, Shane Price as well, who was racing V8s at the time. Like it was like a really cool time for me in karting and a lot of people that I got to learn off and draw off. Mm. Um, so, yeah, a big influence for me, like when I was working at DP, was working alongside Darren Hossack. I yeah. pretty much owe everything I know to him and Bart Price. Yeah. Uh, I'd say like a lot of – Because Hossack's also, an old supercar driver too himself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hossack uh, raced uh, – so probably – yeah, so it was with GRM and probably most of it would be like um, the Winds Fred car Gibson with, yeah. as well. So like, yeah, he was really good as well. Um, and yeah, just sort of, you know, he was someone that never came from, from money either. Yeah. Uh, so it was hard for him to secure the right seat. He had a deal sorted and then someone pretty much just came in and, and bought it from under him. For, I can't remember. It was like a really top team. Yeah. Um, so that was, it sort of really, really ended his career in, in that sense. But yeah, he raced like sports sedans after that and dominated all the time. Like he'd race against like Riccadello. It was like him and Riccadello battling for the win all the time, uh, which is pretty cool. And Dean Randall, like here and there, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like to have those people around me in my most early days in motorsport or in go-karting for that mm. sense, like they just shaped myself completely and learned all these skills. Like I'd say like a lot of the reason why I've been able to be fast in the supercar straight away as well as like a lot of the engineering background and setup experience from when I was racing carts because we were developing carts like flat out all the time. Mm. And I like, I know people like, Oh, go karts different than supercar, but it's actually, it's got pedals and it's got four wheels yeah. and it's got an engine. It's actually quite a lot similar in the sense that like, 
you develop your butt to feel from what's under you. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's, it's made that really easy for me yeah. having such a dense pedigree doing that stuff um, back when I was karting. Yeah. Would you Would you guys like develop a cart that wouldn't make the market just to see if it would work? Like would you go out to the Absolutely. Todd Road? Yeah. Can yeah. you tell me a bit more about that? Because I've seen back in my day like yeah. Dave Sear and other guys, obviously now you basically Arrow is competing against all the European makes. So they've yeah. got to keep up that competitiveness. Like – when you're working for Bart, did you guys have to formula make a formula for it to work? Do you know what I mean? To sell a cart? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the biggest thing was win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Yeah. So top priority was just win the bloody race. Yeah. So we'd have carts though that would work well at some tracks and not at others. And not that we'd ever have special carts. To be honest, any of the race team carts, um, if they weren't prototype models, it was a model that, you know, might have been dropped off the bench or it might have got ran into with a forklift Bart Price yeah. race to go kart, the nickname forklift one time. It got <laughs> crashed into the tines, like damaged the heck out of it. So they chopped a bit out, welded a new bit in. Yeah. And that's just what Bart raced because Drew Price, who owned our carts at the time, he's like, oh, it's just my son, that's what it run. Yeah. Everyone's like, Oh, you guys get special carts. Like, no, it's it's like the crap, like the crappers carts, because like you gotta save money, right? Yeah. But the prototype stuff, like sometimes we would have an advantage because it would work well at yeah. some tracks. Like in when we're doing the X5 development. We had a really soft go-kart that worked really well in K3, so like the common light back then, the 100cc mm. stuff, and would work really well on the 125 until it got hot and then it wouldn't go as well. But that for me, like we were at Geelong. Uh, it was the first race event we had there uh, in that cart and it was like a 33-second lap time. And there were practice sessions where it was faster, like fastest by like half a second, which is just like ridiculous. Like no one, no matter how good they are at a national level, should be quicker by that amount, especially on a 33-second track. Yeah. Um, and that for us worked really well, pretty much like every track, but we had to get out of it pretty quickly because we wanted to like develop one cart that would work across just across the board mm. for all, like all of the categories. And uh, we pretty quickly established it wasn't going to work well in um, the 125 stuff. So we had to pull the pin on that. So I did like one race event in that. It was a shame. It was my favorite go-kart. It was the best, but I wasn't allowed <laughs> to use it. Like, ah, oh, it's, you know, like we got to develop yeah. this other one. So you got to yeah. tell, we, we obviously we're Brooke and I from Sydney and Brooks, I think you, you had a sticker or, or artwork in Frankie's Pizza. I thought you were going to, that's where yeah. I thought this was going. Yeah. Cause you performed there when it yeah. went the last night, was it? Uh, we did it last night. We did one of the last few shows. shows yeah. But yeah. So I know the owners of uh, Frankie's, like they're good friends. And um, yeah, like we've played there so many times. Like, it's a, like the say, iconic like, venue down there. Yeah. Iconic venue. And it's closed now and it just breaks my heart. Like I love that place, man. Like you get some yeah. funny stories from there, which I'm not sure if I'll. Oh, you can it. say, say <laughs> something. <laughs> we used to go there a lot. We used to, we have art exhibitions down in the basement. Mm. Like, I absolutely just fry to death in summer and then come back yeah. up. And there was just, yeah, it was always had great music and everything yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I will, I will say like a, a little funny one from there. It's not really related to us, but yeah. any of the, the staff members, if they met somebody that they quite liked throughout the night, there was like a, an unwritten slash potentially written rule yeah. um, in your staff contract that you could call in a code pink and a code pink was, there was a pink, like a uh, slippery when wet or like do not enter yeah. sign that they'd put at the front of the toilets and block it out and then they could use this for our extracurricular activities. So oh, like, wow. Yeah, so there we go. I did not so, know yeah, that. So Code Pink's oh. a real funny one. And then I suppose now that they're closed, I could probably mention that. There but it was can, like yeah. a, a hush, hush one before. Wow, uh, that's yeah. actually really, that's actually so really cool. It's hilarious. It is cool. It is oh, cool. come yeah. on. You've got more about Frankie's. I want to know a bit more. Oh, we do. There's just stuff that I could probably – Probably shouldn't Did mention, you guys so. ever have to use the basement as the green room? That things. Yeah, oh, so that's that's a good one. Yeah. So yeah. every time we'd play a gig there, because we're good friends with Jordo, uh, one of the owners, we'd get to uh, have the green room, which is called the fun room, really down yeah. there. The fun room would be designated to us, and they have like a big like a 
bathtub like filled with ice and all this alcohol and then we could just sort of pick whatever we want. So the last time we played there, uh, Emma, the manager at the time, uh, she like saw us play and she hadn't seen us before and she was like, oh my gosh, you guys are like fucking insane. Like, you know what? Open bar tab for the night. I'm talking unlimited. I'm like, really? And she's like, unlimited. She's like, let's go. I'm like, I'm like all right, like, all right, we'll, we'll do this. And like, I felt really bad after the night. We didn't realize how excited we got, but we spent like nearly two grand on the bar because uh, like we were like just yeah, getting yeah. shots. We're like, oh, we have an open bar tab just forgetting. And it was like, yeah, I felt really bad after this, but just forgetting that. You know, yeah. Just like, we were just like ordering for everyone. Like I'm talking about one in like 20, 30 shots at a time. And it was like, oh, it was just crazy. But Is this before their performance? Or no, like, no, uh, no after. way. No, yeah. no, no. Like we're serious about the stuff. We want to play a good show. So we always had a two drink rule. So we'd never have any more than two drinks before a show. Okay. And then after the show, like whatever, like just yeah. go nuts as long as, you know, if they've got a show the next day, like you got to be tame-ish. Go hard as long as you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like partying, like crazy it was always a little bit hard if i like you know i might have had a show like a week before a race and like you know i always like wouldn't really drink mm. in the vicinity of a race like around a couple of weeks and sort of just like be fit yeah uh, so but I mean, to be honest like i never really had that many double ups so it was okay yeah. like i'm only ra- in super two like it's only six races a year yeah and i haven't like like i've done another couple of things like youths or whatever else um yeah but never how was uh, your youth experience it was sick like, yeah. i really enjoyed it it really? was something that came together like really last minute the reason i'm asking this is it gets controversial on the internet right some people <laughs> hate it some people love it yeah it does but the thing that people don't realize about now is higher horsepower and they weigh less than what the old vauts did yeah which you'd think oh they're so big they weigh more and you know how could they have more power like the ls3 man she goes like yeah. it, it's fast like when we race at smp we're getting up to like 235 k's an hour like the supercar is only doing like 270 yeah right it was like it was really cool like you, they you had a wicked paint scheme on that thing too it was <laughs> like fluoro time. yellow yeah, and yeah. so we had a company called Manfilter uh, who were from Journey there's a company called Man and Hummel they do a heap of different things but one of their biggest products is called Manfilter yep. and uh, yeah I'd just been talking uh, with uh, Convertis uh, who was perhaps like the sales manager at the time doesn't mm-hmm. work there anymore but uh, yeah I was talking to him uh, about doing something at Super 2 for a while and uh, this opportunity came about like I wanted to do some laps at SMP because everywhere I go is pretty much the first time mm. like I've ever been because I, you know, pretty much only done go karts before yeah. this. And I was like, right, like let's get serious. So I want to do some driving at SMP. I was going to do some test days. Mm. And then Luke Cedars, uh, I think, reached out mm. and was like, oh, you know, do you want to have a crack? I was just like, yeah, absolutely. It was like a really good deal. Uh, so I really appreciate like what they did there for me. And uh, it made me able to have a really cheap price for the sponsor and basically get the ball rolling with them. Yeah. So I called him, like had Luke called me, Luke Cedars, and then, I was like, oh, that sounds good. Called the sponsor and then called Luke back. I was like, yeah, we're on. And I'm talking like this was like a 25-minute process. Yeah, like, right. This tribe came together. I'm like, right, like, I'm like, <laughs> got a city. Yeah. <laughs> this is during COVID, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was during yeah. COVID. So, like, I managed to get across the border on a permit. Yeah. And then, so this is in 2021. Yeah. And then I did, yeah, a couple of races in the in the end um, before, yeah. yeah, doing the Super Is that where you became friends with Raul Harris? <laughs> oh yeah, so no, we we got along really well. Like I'd known Ryle for a, for a while. Yeah, so okay. I think potentially it was from meeting at race events or the go kart sort of stuff. Like yeah, we're like oh mates. Like we'd you know we'd gone out together a few times. Like it was good. Yeah, um, yeah. So he yeah, like I had some really good races with him in the youths. Actually, like good door to door. Oh like, dude, real, that were fuck. That were really. It was good. Cool yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was real good fun. So like we were battling. There was like me, him, and Borg. You like battling for the win. 
like yeah. hectically in one race and then like Cricky ended up catching like up and then joining that battle as well. Yeah. So it was like a four man dog fight, which was like really cool. Yeah. Um, so Ryle and Cricky had a pretty big blow up after that dog fight. Um, oh, that's right. Ryle's yeah, Ro- 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 pretty animated as a driver. Yeah. Like he's- it's, it's good though. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's yeah. what we said. It brings yeah, personality back absolutely. to the field. Yeah, yeah man. There's just too many wet blankets in motorsport or sport these days. Like, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you, you weren't know, offended by his comments after a Super 2 race or something? Like he had nah, a go. Like, you, both of you two had shots at each other. So that was that just heat of the moment type of stuff? Yeah, like I, I didn't really say like too much about him like on a negative like, yeah, sense, I would nah, say. But, but I was more so just like, you know, like. Cause he like was like calling me a girl and stuff. Like yeah. that's all fine. Like I, I love I love women. So yeah. like, like, like uh, you're not really you're not going to offend me. Like it's, it's, you know, it's, I suppose it's yeah, it's not it's not looking bad on me if you're calling yeah. me a girl, man. Like, it's, yeah, it's not looking bad on me. Like it's yeah. you know the, the industry. Like, sorry, the the age that we're at now. Like people are probably going to get offended by what you're saying. Not yeah. by the way I look. Yeah, yeah, I got long hair and I'm wear pretty shit. But like you yeah. know, I like wearing nice stuff, man. Like yeah. so you yeah. weren't offended by that stuff at nah, all. It's fine. Like call me whatever. Like I never really get phased by anyone's comments. Like it's yeah, like everyone's running their own race in in life. They're yeah. running their own battle and doing their own things. Like you know, if you take people's comments on board too many times, like it's probably going to beat up your soul a fair bit. Like between yeah. like the like the ba- you know how you've had the experience being in a band and having to deal with like social media in the public, and now you're in like you or you've been in the racing and continued to be. Do you find that you've had to cop any more, let's say, the trolls or that sort of thing in the band more than the supercars, or has it been a mix of what you've had to learn to deal with? Um, so yeah, like I've never really copped anything bad in terms of like I've mentioned before. Obviously, we had some weird stuff happen in music, yeah. But I've never ever like copped anything with positive comments on the music uh, music side of things. But I, I'd say probably because the age demographic of motorsport fans at the moment in Australia. Like, yeah, I also get a lot of people saying the same thing. Like, oh, I look like a girl. Like, I'll get yeah. a haircut, like all that sort of stuff. But yeah. a lot of people stick up um, for not just me. I'm sure if anybody got those comments, like people are pretty nice these days. Someone that I think probably got that movement going a fair bit is someone like Chaz Mostert who was like, you know, really preaching the no hate, um, yeah. no yeah. social hate sort of thing. And people have gotten around that. Like Chaz is such a personality, such a great guy that yep. he's someone that is perfect to lead the way in that sense. Yep. And, yep. Um, yeah, like there was like a, a few articles that went out the other day uh, a lot of positive comments, but then there was like always a few battlers like, oh, yeah, like, you know, maybe you just get a haircut or something yeah. or whatever else. And I it's think, just yeah. like, then people like were like roasting these people back though, yeah. which is like pretty cool. Like, to be honest, I never really had the time to read the comments, but that's actually mom, a good, that would be a good thing though. Do you know what I mean? Because you're so busy anyway, it's actually not, not good to look at social media. Do you yeah. Know what I mean? Well, I mean, to, you're like, you're 100% right. It's purely because I'm too busy, but like, yeah. I will. I do some like some sometimes read the comments because my mum will be like, "Oh, this is a lovely comment here," or be like, "Wow, that's a mean comment. How could they say that?" <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh, I'd better have a look." And then if I'm looking at them, I'll look at them all. You know, yeah. I'll read all the comments on my personal stuff, but on news articles, it's like pretty hard to keep up because you've got you know four massive news agencies in, in motorsport in Australia, let alone any of the other sites, yeah. um, posting stuff all the time. Like, hey, how are you going to keep up? But you, you wouldn't know? want to be caught in that vortex anyway, because what the, those people who are commentating, it's just coming from no. I don't. It's not. Don't sound bad, yeah. but they're people just doing nothing, you know. And they're generally, yeah, yeah. and they're just out to troll people and that. So that's something you wouldn't want to be listening to on that sort of thing, you know. Yeah. Positive is good, but the negative is something you just have to. Do you learn to just like throw it away and just ignore what you're like, you know, different things that you've seen? Yeah, I guess I. I don't know why, but yeah. I've just never, as I mentioned before, like never really been phased by 
anyone's comments or anything like that. Like, you know, that's what I'm people have an you. agenda yeah. like, you know, when they're saying something um, and it's for, you know, the reason, you know, it might be beyond you. You don't know why and whatever that agenda is, is relevant to me. Like it's not going to stop me from doing what I want to do and or yeah. making me feel how I want to feel. You know what I mean? So yeah. It's, yeah it's, so back, we'll go to the supercars thing because mm. you're obviously trying to get your Super 2 campaign underway and yeah. whatnot. And these guys like there's yourself, Jay Robotham, Joey Mawson, they're all trying to get the seat in Super, in super 2. Yeah. But my I was actually for the Super 3, Super 2 cars now for Super 2 because I could see that coming, do you know what I mean, with the whole collect, collector's yeah. thing. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. You've got, I think Michael Anderson's got a car. I think, as you said, Charter, Matt, um, Ammon Charter's pretty adamant and he's pretty – he loves his supercars with his son. Yep. Is there is there an opportunity there for you to race with him again? Or yeah, he's just one of the many parties I've been talking to as well, trying to get a, a seat as well. So mm. yeah, it was difficult because we. So when we started Super Two in 2021, we had some really good results. Like I, when I did, sorry, obviously I started in 2020. But yeah, I didn't do a season, just the one race with Charter. Yeah, I was like three and a half seconds off a lap. Like to be honest, I was like, oh, like what do you expect? Like you're not you threw yourself in the deep end here. Like you're not good enough, but I, um, because it was, it was hard because we just built that car so quickly and got it running because mm. we had so many mechanical problems. Like it's probably like that hindering pace as well as probably my confidence in the car being mm. probably scared of it breaking down in my first race in two, two, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Like I'm, I never normally get scared behind the wheel, but I'm just like speculating here. All yeah. I know is I was like three and a half seconds off the pace. I didn't drive a thing, not even a go-kart. And then I rocked up to the first day with Eggleston and we're like on the pace straight away. Yeah. And then we, I only did 20 laps before we went to Bathurst at round one. Yes. Yeah. We are, we, so didn't have enough money to, to start testing just yet. Yeah. And then like the money came, I went to the test day and I didn't have enough to do the deposit and the money came through. So I like went to the bank yeah. and then, cause I didn't want to risk it, not getting paid straight away. If I transferred, I went and like withdrew like 20 grand from the bank in, in Winton and in Benalla and then took it to the track. I was like, let's go. So wow. I got to start like halfway through the day. That went well. Yeah. And then we rocked up to uh, Bathurst and like first session, we were like P1 the whole session and then we were P2. Yeah. And then we just sat in the top five, like all weekend. And I was like, Oh, like I actually can do this. And then, yeah, like we just sat in the top five pretty much all year. Wrapped our fifth in the championship. It was a good year. Like we won the uh, rookie of the year. There was so a you did, driver you, did, award. you did that all like, without no testing, yeah? Basically. Uh, that so season. we did do testing after round one. So like okay. I did 20 laps for round one. Yeah. And then, yeah, like with everything I did at round one was with no testing. Yeah. And then before round two, I did a day. Yeah. And then before round three, I did a day. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was a great year. Like we won the Rookie of the Year, the Mike Cable Young Gun Award, which is a really special one. Mm. Like a lot of really incredible names have won that. So that was really just especially for myself to be added to that list. Yeah. And there was a Dunlop Driver Award we'd won. Obviously, we did Rookie the round like three in a row. I think like maybe five out of six, no, four out of five of the rounds because yeah. Yeah, we dropped around in, in 2021. Yeah. Uh, so we had a lot of momentum coming into 2022, like last year. And we were fast. Like, you know, the first practice of the year, like we were P1. So we topped practice at the first round. Then we just had like, yeah, just a bit of an unlucky run. Like I had trouble getting into gear at the start of the race and then I dropped back to last, came back through to like 10th and then I was running fifth in the, uh, fifth in the fourth mm. in the second race. And then, um, I got a hit, uh, from behind from Jay Hansen, which sent me like wide and I dropped back to like that 12th sort of mm. area where, uh, Ryle was running yeah. and then, yeah, he like tried to hold her around the outside of me into, uh, whatever corn that is, I'm going to call it like turn four or five, right? Yeah. Um, but it was like slippery conditions. So like we never like made contact, but like I ran him out of, right? The intention was like to, I saw I was like past him. Mm. The intention was to like, righto, 
I've like got a like a fair overlap. I'm barreling across to like block him so he can't pass me in his next corner. Because like Ryle's so good at passing, he's always going to get in there. So I was yeah. like, right, I need to barrel across to block him. But he's like gashy gassed it halfway around the corner yep. and ended up next to me. But like, you know, I'm looking at the corner. Yeah. So then like you look at the footage and it's like, it looks so, yeah. it's so terrible. Like it's <laughs> running out of road. And like, to be honest, like I did apologize, like, I apologize straight away, but like he's like obviously angry, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. That so was a bit of a funny one. Like we talk now, it was all good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we had that, uh, which we did end up getting a penalty for. So it's sort of like it was hard to go into round two, but then round two, we we top practice again at the start. We're like fourth in quality after a big mistake at last when I like hit the curb. It was probably looking like we could pull it. And then we were, um, got through to second in the race and we are catching Matt Payne and then blew a bloody header and dropped a cylinder. Mm. And then this is like on lap six, man. So I had to like hang on for the rest of the race and like I dropped back to fourth and finished there in the end. But it's not a good one. The pace was good. And then what did we do? Round three with Townsville didn't make it. Yeah, due to budget, then we're back for stand down. That was yeah. had a crash there, which which sucked. Yeah, that was really a wild, fast. That was a wild weekend. That one. Yeah, yeah, man. Like we were running, I think like somewhere in like sixth or seventh in that second race, because um, I put it off in quality. Like we were purple. I think we we're sitting first at the time, and then I mm. ran off um, at Danong Road. I hit a puddle and ran wide. Yeah, and uh, yeah, once you do that, they take you fast slaps. So I just start like last. I think got up to like yeah sixth or seventh. Yeah, and then um, so Jason Gomesol. Yeah, it had a big off under safety car conditions. Mm. Um, pretty much when we're yeah, as I mentioned, under safety car. Yeah. So we got to get going, and no one saw as we're coming around that there was mud except for Tony Delberto who was leading. So he saw the mud all over the track, and he's just like completely shortcutted because he's like, well, if I hit that, I'm going to be in the fence. Yeah. But then whoever was in P two like did not have any chance of seeing that. So they hit it. Then we all start spinning. Yeah, pretty much three cars end up in the barrier, and I'm a fourth one to go in and. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty tough because yeah, like I mean, to be honest, like it would have been good to see a red flag because that Gomasol car was in the fence waiting there for us all to arrive with mud all over the track before it. Mm. it you know, just call the race, man. We don't even have a one lap dash. Like I'd rather that than the 60, 70 grand damage bill that I got. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but you know, like you know, these these people are making the calls like in the spur of the moment. Like you know, everyone's doing their best. But yeah, that was a tough round. Then we come back to Bathurst, and you know, it was good. Like we'll P one in practice there, and then. So the first race got called off because of the weather mm. and the second one got called off. So it was just, it's yeah. hard. Like we're so fast all year. We just never really got to capitalize on that pace because we missed two rounds. But yeah, yeah. it was, it was good. It, like little stat. In your opinion, like, though, is there any way that they could fix super two slash three? Like in, um, like even for like, you know, somehow managed to drop the prices down. Cause I've had other guys, guys and girls come on the podcast saying, you know, racing's got to work itself out where they've got to maybe drop the price to gain more entries. Do you know what I mean? Like there's all these type yeah. of, well, they just can't drop the price. Like yeah. it's lower now than it was years ago. You know, there was like yeah. talks of it being over a mil like a few years ago. Um, yeah. Now it's like a lot less than that, but mm. it's still like heaps of like for a guy like myself. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately now Super 3 being with the newer generation cars, mm. um, it's just, it's so expensive. It's like the same price as Super 2. It's like maybe just a little bit cheaper, like 50 grand cheaper for the year. Yeah. So those Super 3 cars, the Project Blueprints, were cheap to maintain. Mm. So that was a positive about it. Like when I did Super 3 with Terry Wyhoom, the contract price was like less than half of what it cost me to do Eggers in, in Super 2. And yeah. that was an extremely good deal as it was. Yeah. So, so you don't reckon there's any way that they could basically fix supercars in your opinion at all? Yeah, well, I mean, it was it was tough. Like I... I in Super 2, all these teams had to buy these new cars for this year that mm. are filtered down from main game, and these cars are costing the same or more than what it costs to get a Gen 3 car. 
the only benefit to buying these old cars is that the super as the main game teams get to make a little bit of money. It really doesn't work out well for any of the super two teams. We should have just gone Gen three. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you reckon you would have so the, to where they are, Gen three? Absolutely. Yeah. But the thing is, is like we've seen how the deadline's been going with Gen oh, three. Yeah. It really wasn't going to be possible. But if everything in a, a perfect circumstance in a perfect world mm. had it been going well, then you know. Do you reckon now it, though it can be basically a like a like a band aid in a way? Like what you're saying could actually work, right? But obviously they're struggling for parts and struggling for car, you know, everything everything to do with Gen 3 is basically struggling. So they're basically yep. trying to race to finish it. But do you reckon they could basically use the Super 2, Super 3 thing now as a Band-Aid until they start manufacturing more cars yeah. to make it work? Absolutely. Well, that's, yeah. what, it's, that's what it's doing really. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like that was never the plan uh, from the last couple of years really. Mm. And, uh, you know, two years ago the deadlines were looking fine for Gen 3. Yeah. So, yeah, it was. it, it, is, a, it is a shame but like I suppose it's – the way it's got to run yep. makes it easier for these main game teams to make a little bit of money as well. The only thing that's concerning is like, there's a lot of cars out there that just have no pedigree that like quite frankly suck in terms of history. Yeah. And like these teams are going to have to try and sell these, you know? Oh, so you guys keep it. You, you guys yourself, the drivers keep an eye on which cars are not that great, but you, bought, uh, well, you I mean, preferred better equipment basically when you're out there. Yeah. To be honest, like I don't know if that many people do look into it. I know if, like a few people like I've spoken to the drive, like some people do as well. Yeah. Like a, a really good site for that is like V8 Sleuth. They've got like the whole like history of like every car and where it's been yeah. and its results. And plus you can just go look it up on, you know, supercars yourself. Mm. But um, yeah, there's a lot of cars that haven't really achieved much with now these these teams, uh, teams have bought, which if in two years when they go to the Gen 3 and Super 2 or whatever that's going to be, mm. like who's going to buy that car? So now it's Super 2 teams left with that because then there's no reason for, for them to get filtered down anywhere else. You know yeah. what I mean? So perhaps the Super 3, but then it's like all it's doing is driving the price up Super 3 by a bit too because we're running like carbon bonnets in the mm-hmm. Gen 2 cars, like all these sorts of things. So it's like would you have a crash and it's expensive. Man. Would you run Super 3 this this year or not? Would some it's, of you guys you would? Because well, it, it could make Super 3 more competitive. Do you know what I mean? Like Because yeah, there's not enough co- – technically Super 2 is – is still there, but Super Three would could potentially still become a competitive class win in itself. Do you know what I mean? For sure, like these the Nissans, like you know, to get a hands on a Nissan and run around and that, that could be pretty good. Yeah, uh, you know, because the parity in the Nissan was done against the the Mustang and yeah. uh, and the ZB, so it was always a little bit too quick for for uh, for Super Two. As certain tracks, it would really show. Yeah, but like, yeah, that'd be cool to run in Super Three or any car for that matter. Like, I really enjoy the Triple Eight gear which I've been using. Yeah, uh, but at the end of the day, like, it's it's going to cost the same money as, as Super Two. Like these days, it's, it's the same price now that the previous cars that we use in Super Two are filtered down. The price mm. is the same. Everything's the same to pretty much run the new the Gen Two cars are just like a little bit more expensive. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, I don't yeah. know, not really. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would. Yeah. Is Craig Dantas though? You were saying about your your super utes there. He's yeah. he obviously helps you with um. He's helped you with sponsors and stuff like that. But he's influential with the whole supercars paddock, isn't he? Like he keeps guys on the grid. Yeah, man, he's good. He helps out a few people. So like Cam Cricky helps a fair bit. I'm not sure who else. There's like maybe like someone called like Elliot Barber. I don't yep. know what he yeah, runs, Elliot but I remember Barber, Craig yeah. saying that he helps him. And then yeah, like there's um. So one of the supercars partners is uh, Shaw, which mm. uh, they do like microphones, like headphones, that sort of stuff. Uh, he got me doing the E-Series for him. Yep. So it was a great time, obviously, because I'm a musician. And, um, yeah, like I just developed that partnership to then applying it to my real-life racing. Yep. And uh, that worked out really well. So, it, you know, it's a, it's a good one because, yeah, as I said, like that translated through to my band and it was something that I could do simultaneously no matter what in my life I was doing. Mm. Um, so that's, as I said, that's something that uh, Donis uh, gave me the foundation for. So, yeah, I'll forever be grateful for that. Yeah. Do you have any part? Do you have a partner or anything? Yeah, I do. You yeah. do? Yeah. You do have a partner? Yeah, yeah I do. 
Yeah, it's we've been together for like seven years, man. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a long time. Well, How did I'm, you guys meet? We met at uh, when, like last year's school. Yeah, we met at last year's school. So, oh, you've been together like, a, like high school sweethearts? Uh, since afterwards, yes. Yeah. So, pretty much we. Oh, so uh, not at high school, after, just after. No, nah, so yeah, we met at high school. Yeah. And then right at the end, um, like her parents have like a, a property up in Noosa and. Like when I was a kid, like I used to party a bit and I'd go to like house parties and my friends were like, oh, come to schoolies. I'm like, yeah, I've done plenty of partying. I don't want yeah. to do that. Like, So you never went to schoolies? Well, I wasn't going to go to schoolies. And then yeah. oh, my friend's like, look, you know, this is my girlfriend's name is Molly. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah, um, let's <clears> – <throat> she's like, oh, yeah, having people at, uh, at my place in New so like come along. I was like, no, nah, I can't be bothered. But then all my best mates are gone. They're like, oh, yeah, look, like let's um let's get you there. Like come on, come on, like hassle me. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. So I ended up going and that's like where we sort of hit it off. Mm. And then, yeah, like we've been together since then. So, yeah. oh, cool. Is yeah. she creative like you were oh, in terms of the music side or nah. is she totally different? So, yeah, she's a school teacher, man. Like, oh, cool, <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's like destined to be a school teacher. Yeah, like, yeah, It's yeah. one of those people. Yeah. So it's like the perfect career for her. Yeah. Yeah, right. And does she kept it? Do you, I know you guys don't live together. You do? Uh, you yeah, do? yeah, we do. So you we do. live at her parents' house, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And does she come home and tell you like, you know, cool, 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 cool teaching stuff and stuff like that? Does yeah, she, just seems to like stories from kids and stuff. Yeah. She's a primary teacher, so she, like, yeah. has to deal with, like, a lot of, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all that stuff. But do you, I was going to ask, though, with that stuff, how she would obviously get a buzz from teaching. Do you get more of a buzz out of performing on stage or racing a car? Like, is it the same or is it, like, it's how can you compare? Do you get more of a heart rate buzz from, like, coming on stage and that or is it or is a supercar worth it, basically? Well, there's adrenaline in both. Yeah. And I love both so much, but, like... I don't know, your life's on the line when you're racing. So like I'd say probably racing. And because so much effort goes into the racing, there's so much reward that I get out of the racing as well. Yeah. Like as I mentioned, like I love both so much. Mm. But at the end of the day, like I'd say I probably experience more adrenaline and more reward in that sense because of how much I've got to put into it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Are you using the music while you're not like performing in that and in bands at the moment? Do you go home after like everything you're doing now and use that sort of thing to just like relax and chill out? Do you still like, do you, do you still play the guitar or write music? Yeah. So I always would do mm-hmm. that. But to be honest, like times are just that crazy at the moment where yeah. I just haven't had the time to. That was like, yeah, the whole, the whole part of me is taking a step back from the band. Yep. Now that it's like less of my own operation is to focus all my time on yeah. my Super 2 career. Because, yeah, it was only like late last year, like in December, like mm-hmm. late before Christmas, I found out that I wasn't going to be racing at Eggleston anymore, yep. which is like, yeah, a bit different to the plans that we'd made up. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that was tough is I'd had opportunities from like a couple of like main series teams, like really good deals to race in Super 2 for them. Yep. And um, which, yeah, like obviously we just didn't end up doing because we we're going to race at Eggleston. And uh, we'd organised, like, um, we're not going to go into details too much, but it was a really good campaign to run. And we only found out, like, really late in the piece um, that this wasn't going to go ahead. And, um, yeah, it was, like, for, for them, like, understandable completely because, like, you know, I missed out on two rounds last year and they're a business. Like, it's pretty hard to have uncertainty around your driver. Mm. So, like, whilst this year is looking so good for me budget-wise, yeah. for the first time ever, um, obviously, like, how could you trust that when, like, I've missed a couple of rounds for him? So like we only found out pretty late and obviously all the deals done in like October, November mm. uh, the previous year. So, yeah, it's, that's why it's been so hard to find a seat and why I've just like full send allocating yeah. literally every minute of my day trying to either work to make the money for it yeah. and yeah. spending any spare time obviously trying to organize deals and stuff like that. You said you might do S5000 as a backup. Is that true? Yeah, it's a good backup. So yeah. I did a test with uh, Versa Motorsport uh, mm. back at the Bend in November last year. Yeah. And that went really well. Like it was, it was, yeah, it was a pretty incredible experience. They're really cool cars. I've never done open wheelers because obviously I've done the yeah. tin top stuff. 
Uh, but yeah, it went really well, real quick, and the team, yeah, really want to have me back. So yeah, yeah we've been chatting to them. There's a like, you know, we've, we've kept all options open as to what I'm going to do. Mm. So like, worst comes to worst, I think I'll probably do a few rounds of Super Two, and then you know, do the whole S5000 championship. Yep. Which I say worst comes to worst, it's actually like a really good setup. But yeah, you know, I really want to win the Super Two series, and like last year we demonstrated so much pace. Like we did four races and were the fastest in like practice at like three of those events, which was the most out of anyone that year, yeah. even though we were two rounds down. And like, I really want to apply that, you know, to a whole campaign, especially now, like I'll probably be one of the most experienced in the field as well. Yeah, so There's a lot of new blood coming in and all the guys that were around my pace moved up. Like, you know, Zach Bass, uh, Best is sort of taking a step back. Matt mm. Payne's up, Cam Hill's up, Declan Fraser's up. Yeah. So it's like, re- it's a real good year. There's like a lot of guys also missing out. Mm. Um, this year too, which sucks. So, you know, who knows? Maybe I'll be one of those guys. Yeah. But yeah, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that I'm not. But you know, things don't always work out. So. Yeah. Cool. Do you feel like there's like an? You know how you say, you said you came in from carts, then you had sort of no testing, went into supercars. So there was. Did you ever feel then, and compared to now, once you've won the uh, the cable award, that the expectations have changed for you, or have they gotten like? Do you feel like you're putting more on yourself, or there's more external, or how have you found that journey so far? Um, I wouldn't say that the award changed anything. What changed my, uh, I guess my goals for the year mm-hmm. when I first came in in 2021 mm-hmm. was when like we like just popped it on the front row and like my first outing with Eggleston, mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, I'm gonna win this thing. Like I'm just gonna win the series. Like how good is this? Like I'm so fast straight away. But then, um, you know, by the next round, it was like a rude awakening. Like, man, you got so much development to do. So yeah. that was probably the biggest thing that like realigned my goals. Because at the start of that, I was like, oh yeah, you know, if I can just dip in the top ten, that's going to be good. But then we're like racing like in the top five straight away, and I wouldn't say that like the award really changed any of that because like we were sort of already in that top bunch. Mm. So like the goal for the following year, whether I won that award or not, was to try and win the series or get as close to it as possible. And obviously we missed out on a couple of rounds. Does, so does, that, does that award though equate to both supercars and super two? Like it does. How does yeah. it, it actually work? Yeah. So that award gets shared between um, supercars, the main game and uh, in super two. Yep. And it's just the best like rookie between both um, that, it's just, sorry, it's not like, it's, it's, a like a dri- bit of a, it's like a driver rating system in a way. Kinda, it's like a little bit of back end system, but it's also voted by like a lot of the supercars crew in the media and motorsport Australia, like officials, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's sort of whoever gets the most votes gets a win. So yeah. yeah. So that was, that was cool. So that's why like, it's also a special one because it's like not just performance based. It's also like people and how they're looking into how you're going. And, you know, it's like, it's quite subjective in that manner. Yeah. So like if people think you should win like i think it's quite special so yeah i like i probably enjoyed that one more than winning the rookie of the year really because mm. like you know that one was somewhat statistical but more so just like yeah. people seeing things behind the scenes as well and probably recognizing hard work as well so mm. it was like yeah it was good how did yeah. the relationship with um boost come about that's a that's a funny one so when because peter Adderton is all we can say is just he's bloody vocal about motorsport. It's yeah. great. It's another opinion which we need. Yeah. 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 Pete's great, man. Like he's good. He says whatever has to be said, uh, which is good. So, yeah. like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of people in motorsport that just like, or any sport for that matter, a lot of industries that try and just like say what's politically correct, which is like fair. You want to do it as much as possible. Yeah. But then people aren't saying their opinions and mm. like, you got to say your opinion. So anyways, like I rock up to my first like full season of like start with start with Eggleston. Yeah. And I um just wearing like my Eggleston gear, but then I'm wearing like these Cuban hill boots, like sort of yeah. stuff, like same as what I'm wearing now, actually. And um we rock up to the to the race. I'm walking around the pits in that. We do practice and like yeah, we pop it on the front row straight away. 
And then um, it's like the Saturday morning after we've done the practice. I'm just like walking to get a coffee. Yep. Mm. And then I'm just standing there and then this guy comes up. He's like, are you Matt McLean? I'm like, yeah. He's like, Jason Haynes, Bruce Mobile. How you going? We want to sponsor you. I'm like, Ah, yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. He's like, are you busy? I'm like, yeah, just get my coffee, but uh, I, can, I, can, I can sack it. Like, let's yeah. go chat. He's like, no, no, I'll stand with you away for your coffee. Yeah. Let's get that. And then, you know, we'll, we'll go introduce you to the team, whatever. So yeah, I went and I met Pete, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, later I, I found out that, yeah, Pete just heard about me rocking around the pits in what people were calling cowboy boots. Yeah. Because uh, okay. people, I suppose, don't really wear that sort of stuff around the pits. So people was like, oh, it's a cowboy boot, whatever. Yeah. So um, yeah, like Pete heard about me wearing my cowboy boots and was like, Jason, go and get that guy. Like yeah. he's, he's fast and then he's like, he's wearing different stuff, like go and get him. So yeah, like that came about straight away. And in uh, my first chat with Jason, He's like, man, the biggest thing about this partnership is we're, we're sponsoring you because you're you. You're different. You know, you got your long hair. You're wearing your cool stuff and like, yeah, you're fast as well. The biggest thing is that you're you. He's like, the one condition on this partnership is that you do whatever you want and say whatever you want at all times. He's oh. like, we don't want you to become like everyone else and be like a molded driver like yeah. It's like, you know, that is people, the best thing you want to hear from a sponsor. It was the best thing to hear from a sponsor, but the best advice I've ever got. Yes, like, yes. It was so good. Like, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it really, I would say, shaped the way that I went about my career. Like, I probably would have done just like what a lot, a lot of drivers do. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's plenty of personalities going around in, in supercars, but then mm. there's also plenty of non-personalities as yeah. well. Um, so, yeah, that was a really good bit of advice. And, yeah, just a, a good little story, I suppose, on how I got going with Boost. But, yeah, it's a brand that I'm really passionate about. We're pretty aligned with um, – I guess how we treat our campaigns and like content and stuff like that. Like we just sort mm. of like. Have you done cool any ads for Boost or anything? Like any like, cause they're obviously an out there brand themselves. Like have you done any like rock ads or type of things like that or any? Uh, not or any not really? rock ads, but like I did. So I've done like a couple of photo shoots for them and like I'd always create like for all of my sponsors, they'd get like a, a set amount of content every day at events. Yep. So I employ uh, one of my friends who I basically trained to, you know, service me at race events. Mm-hmm. He'd come along with me and he'd do all my content sort of stuff. Yep. He can just film me doing all my videos and make individual ones for each of my uh, sponsors. And he'd do like, you know, a bit of like motion graphics, put it over the top of the end. So then each of the videos is tailored to whether it's your logo being featured on the car as yep. well as a bit of like graphics at the end. Um, anyways, so yeah, it's the best thing that like we've done with Boost is just create a lot of content. So the first thing we did was, yeah, the photo shoots and then they use that just for a little bit of ads and stuff. And then after that, it's just yeah, all the content that we create for them. What's your take on Pete trying to like start a V8 supercar team? Because potentially if he was allowed in, because Andretti's yeah. struggling in Formula One, right? Yeah. If he was allowed in the door, that could open the door for you. Kai, I don't know. There's a heap There's a heap of roster driver that yeah. he wants. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like it's kind of actually in a way stopping the system of development. Do you know what I mean? Like you said before with the Super 2 guys, yep. Zach Best and other guys, they're just out of a drive technically. Do you know yep. what I mean? If he had a team and Charter had a team, there'd be two more or technically four more spots if they allowed yeah. that many wrecks to race. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Absolutely. Like I guess the biggest thing, like there, oh, there's a lot of things that go into it, but it affects every team financially um, yeah. when an extra car gets ran. So okay. Especially if there's going to be a team every round. you got to think like now the TV time spread up between one extra car, right? Yeah, okay. So all of your exposure and stuff, that goes down amongst like any other back-end things that go on with supercars. Yeah. There's a lot of like downfalls for a team amongst you know also having another competitor like pete adderton someone that when he does something he does it at full capacity and he'll always do everything perfectly well mm. and you know if he did a team you know and he had someone like Sanaway driving for him or something like that mm. they're going to do a damn good job mm. and yes there's going to be a lot of teams that aren't going to be in front of them yeah and you know boost do such a good job in marketing as well so there's a lot of downfalls for for being teams i think 
Um, Are you for or against it though? I'm like, for you, it, man. Yeah. I want to race. Yeah. Like, I want people to race. I want everyone to have as much opportunity as possible. Like, let's have 40 cars. Like, whatever. You know, yeah. I love that kind of It'll stuff. It'll make a lot more. Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's one of those hard things. Like you say, you you're gonna lose some of the airtime for some people, but at the same time, the more cars, then maybe no, it could be the more like fans you get, which means more people there, more tickets, more watch time, you know, all that increases. So that could counteract it. I don't know, yeah. but you just mm-hmm. start to see, like we see in NASCAR, they've got so many personalities, so many cars out there, yet, it, you know, they are generating in a way. I don't know. America has a way of airing sports and media. Yeah. The, we, what's what we talk mm. about, that Australia seems to just not be on that it level yet. It seems diluted in my opinion. Like you watch the yeah. NASCAR and the IndyCar, the way that they do it all, and they've they've even got their own charter system, right, and especially mm. NASCAR, where they're obviously down to, I think, 36 cars. But back in the day, there were 43. I still reckon that supercars could, as you said, have more cars on the grid. Cameron Hill came on, for example, and said, you know, the Gen 3 thing, exactly what you touched on. If if so be it in two years, there's enough Gen 3 cars out there. You just move the Super 2 cars along to all Super 3 and you just have Super 2 and super, and super cars all racing at the 1,000. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. you could create more exciting racing. You know, the back markers yep. create some more hard racing to pass them at the back. You want that old school mentality, which is what That's Pete what it loves. used to be, man. Yeah. That's how yeah. it was. Like, Bathurst used to run around with more than 40 cars, you know? Yeah. Was, so. there, was there anyone that you idolised in supercars when you were younger, like when you watched it on TV? Um, whoever was winning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah, I'd always liked the way Win Cup operated. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, it's just very smart about the way he does everything and very committed. Um, yeah. yeah, he's had some pretty big sacrifices to get himself to where he's at today or where he has been yeah. the last few years. So yeah, I'd say, you know, he's definitely someone I've always looked up for, but – you know, there's there's a lot of people in the industry that are behind the scenes that I look up to as well. Like, mm. you know, a lot of the people that I looked up to in go-karts and someone You can like, say their names, it's all good. Oh, yeah, but it's like Darren Hossack yeah. as well was someone who I, you know, knew yeah. I used to watch him racing when I was a kid, like on replays and stuff. Mm. And I got to work with him. He was someone who was just so smart, knowledgeable and taught me so many things. Yeah. There's someone that like I still to this day look up to and will never forget what he's done for me. Yeah. And there's just like a lot of people in pit lane that are like that. Like I got to work with uh, Rob Starr from Walkinshaw yep. at my last race in 2021. Yeah. Let me saw up the rookie championship at the Mike Cable Young on Award. So he yeah. engineered me and I just learned like so much from him. Because actually in that year, I'd engineered myself pretty much in the first year. Yeah, so right. I'd just like talk with Ben Eggleston about like how I was feeling and then just make up like obviously a lot of decisions myself. A lot yeah. of the numbers were done by the engineer that was for Jack Sip, who yeah. was my engineer last year, yeah. uh, Stuart McDonald. He's a legend of a guy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, pretty much Jack had him because he signed first and then, yeah, it was like me just like doing other stuff. Like you and Jack had a bit of a bromance, I remember. For yeah, a like good mates. I love that guy, man. He's so funny. He's <laughs> the classic Sunny Coast surfer yeah. dude, man. Like, Is he? Yeah, man. He's a good He's a good guy. His family's great too. I love his family and you know, I spent a lot of time with them. So, yeah. yeah. It's, it seems like you two have kind of guess, come from similar backgrounds in racing. Like, you kind of make it, you, you, you know, you're struggling for money to make it in motorsport, but you're still having fun. Do you know what I mean? And you, you kind of done your own thing, but I guess, you know, the both, you're both laid back. So that's why you got along. Do you know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. Yeah. Like I, Jack had done like a few other, a few other categories sort of before starting. Yeah, well. He did have four and then he done, I think maybe a bit of HQ stuff, but they also owned a bit supercar that they could go down and drive. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, he sort of had a bit more experience when we started um, in super two together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it was, uh, it was a tough year for Jack because he was quite sick at the start of the year. Yeah, right. He had a, like a an ear, like a middle ear infection, which like just completely threw off his balance. And the first round that we did was Bathurst. Like yeah. out of all places where you're gonna want your spatial awareness and balance, I 
and yeah. balance. Like it was really difficult for him. So he sort of started on the back foot and then, yeah, sort of had wow. a really difficult year. Yeah, right. Have you ever come into a, like a race where you've just been injured or like exhausted from a band thing? Have you had a, ever had a weird experience? No, nah, never a weird experience. Driving home, like if I've had like probably more so at like go-kart race events because yeah. um, I did all my like uh, mechanic stuff, like engineering, driving. I obviously did it all. Mm. And in the year I won my first national championship, I was driving to these events like interstate, like just in my car and trailer, man. Just, like, just get, you and yourself? Just to get, yeah, just by myself. So like, you're winning basically a national championship in go-karts by yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So That's I'd like, sometimes I'd bring a mate from school cause I was only like a, a year or two out of school. Yeah. I'd get a mate like just to come along, like push the trolley, fuel up the cart. But then yeah, I'd, like always, even still like when I was working for DPE mm. and then my dad was coming to the races again, uh, even still would do most of the mechanical work. Like dad would change tires and then I'd just do everything else really. Yeah. But yeah, because I'd be so exhausted from those events, like I'd experience like hallucination driving home. Like I'd see like cars that weren't there and like end up on the wrong side of the road, man, have to like pull over and stop. And just wow. have a nap and then the nap turns into like six hours and then I'm like getting home late. Yeah. And then like, it's just like, there's a lot of pressure though because like I'd race at the events and that was before, this is a year before I was paid to race by DP. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was still expected to rock up and work on the Monday. Like there was no time in the loo. There was nothing like that. Yeah. So like I was just trying to bust my balls to like, you know, finish podium mm. on um on the Sunday at like maybe 1.30, yeah. get in the car and drive back like 11 hours from Dubbo or like, you know, Queensland I got transport too. Mm. So I was right in South Australia like seven hours, like all these sorts of places. Like it was just crazy. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's certainly a weird thing I experienced. It's like, yeah, dead set, so tired, like from just like two days of no sleep. Like yeah. Hallucinations. What's like. your favourite cart class? I've got to ask. Man, you can go like them all. You can, use, you <laughs> yeah. can use the new gen or the X gen, basically. All right, I enjoyed direct drive stuff like in Clubby Light back in the day with yeah. the Yamaha. Oh, I'm with you on that. Um, one. Yeah, yeah, so that's sort of why I continued on that path doing the 100cc stuff. Yeah. Uh, when I went through and, um, you know, the new army came in, mm. it had the centrifugal clutch, so it was like less cool in that aspect, but still a phenomenal engine that had more power. And you should drive it like an old school engine, and people don't. I didn't really do that so much. Yeah. And like we had a like quite a big advantage for a few years in that category, particularly um, because, you know, someone who I learned to drive from as well as like Grimmie Luciani, the yeah. importer, someone who's like, you know, one of the most successful drivers in Australian history. Yeah. And he would drive it like an old school cart, which is how he taught me to drive the club in carts. Mm. And that's just how I drove the uh, iArmy because it's an air cooled um, 100cc. Yeah. engine like you know it was always on the airbox like choking choking it quite a lot and that was something that was quite rare so you'd pretty much only really see me and remo so remo's in heavies i was in life you'd mm. pretty much only see us doing it but you'd see us like having quite good wins yeah but i don't know like people were just like oh it's like you don't need to do it these days but like well it's the same engine like of course yeah. you need to do it these so days. you drive it like, like a club in that that class yeah man like really? on the airbox still yeah. to this day oh yeah, oh, like, shit, yeah. i, I don't really one. drive these days but yeah you, you should yeah. <laughs> yeah you should get one and you should drive it like that yeah <laughs> uh, yeah and it should be easy for you because you would have done it back in the club and days yeah um it makes a big difference like two degrees in your crankcase temperature is like what you'd experience from doing a good job choking which sounds like nothing yeah but like man that's like a that's like one and a half horsepower yeah, it like that's that's from the, from the box. From the yeah, boxing. man, it's like a lot. Like if you maintain your engine that well over a run, like at yeah. the end of the race, you'll experience like and you know one one and a half horsepower more. Like your head temp will always cool down straight away. But do you, you still, keep do you tune though? Do you tune those new engines or not? Yeah, so I even the drivers that I hope uh, sorry I help now coach and engineer, mm. I tune them on the stand uh, relative to the weather straight away. Just like okay. just a skill that I picked up over time. And yeah. you never really need to tune it on the track. But yeah. yes, you should. If you're not doing that, then you're gonna need to tune it on the track. But yeah, I always do it on the stand. I never need to touch it when I drive out there. I'm just on the airbox, man. Or- How do you know to tune it to the weather? That's actually quite interesting. Uh, it's like a, it's pretty particular. It's mm. pretty hard to teach. So for people listening to this who are go-karting. People, all right, so for people listening, like it's a 
it's so hard to teach when I'm not showing. Like, do it like noise. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, this can be, but, this yeah. can be an interesting coaching technique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty much like the, the best way is to obviously start it up, warm it up, and then you want to be like loading up the like the engine like with the brakes. So you want to have it down to like zero RPM. Well, not zero because it's got a yeah. super clutch. It might be like slipping through at like 1,800 RPM. Yep. And then you release the brake and you let it rev out. You don't want to be holding it forever. It'd be like a quick like sort of increase. Yeah. And you can judge like you know, how much is revving out. So if you're experiencing like 15,000 RPM, similar to what you're doing on the track, then the thing's too late on the stand. Yeah, you right. Want, you want that to be maybe, like I would say on average between like 11.5 to like 12.8, depending on your gearing. Yeah. Because if you've got like a, like a taller gear ratio, it actually revs up quicker on the stand because like obviously if you're familiar with engineering, it goes like yeah. driven drive. So like when it's on the ground, your gear ratio changes, uh, ratio changes compared to when it's on the stand, obviously. So like if you've got like really tall gearing, it'll rev up quicker. Mm. Um, so that like you'd experience higher RPM. But if you've got like a, a bigger rear sprocket, which is typically like more torque, it'll actually like take longer to rev out on the stand. Yeah. So like you want to be in, in that sort of rev range, um, yeah. but you want to make sure that it's not dying down low. So if you're like, boom, when it dies, yeah. it's because it's too lean. You're going to give it more on your low jet. Yeah, right. So it's like a ba- it's a combination. It's a balance of your low jet and your high. You want it to still be ticking over, but you don't want it to be making your clutch slip. Yeah, you don't want it to be dying. Yeah, and then you want it to be revving out like within that rev range. And like if you once you learn it, you can't go wrong. Like yeah. there's like never been a time I put any of my drivers on the track and the tune's been bad. Like I've never used any sensors, like no temperature sensors, no like air fuel, like you know, no like no EGT, like none of that sort of stuff. But a lot of the kids I help these days, there seems to be so much money getting around in carts that everyone's got all you know all the kids yeah. in the boodle. But like you just look at the numbers and like it's always perfect. Yeah. So like if you can get that finesse and it's gonna be a benefit because you see so many drivers you see back in the day yeah. they just like wreck the tune and start going backwards. Yeah. Like, they're like a great driver that just might have slipped up on the oh, tune I've done or that once. Yeah, yeah. you tuned to the lights and like maybe your sensors old man yeah. like the lights ain't telling you like the most accurate stuff. That's why like you're always gonna be accurate yeah. and you just tune it to the weather. Don't use a like don't use a weather chart like or whatever you've got like a weather There's station. So many of them these days. Oh, just forget it. Just yeah. tune it on the stand. You get it right. Like, yeah. yeah. And you just base if you know when you're standing there the weather's generally whatever humidity and temp it is. Yeah. You'll know in your head what you're working with. Yeah, kind of like, like you said, rather than using like you're saying charts and all this sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Pretty much just how it performs on the stands, the biggest yep. telltale. But like, you know, you'll get a, a pretty big reference. You can feel, you can smell mm. the air and uh, cloud cover is a big one. Yeah. So like whether it's cloud cover or not makes uh, like a really big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. But it's like, it's definitely something that everyone needs to learn. Like a lot of people just like rev the hell out of it on the stand. And it's like, why? Like, why are you revving it? All you're doing is fatiguing your engine. The thing's not warm yet, so like you, you, you're definitely going to need to do a top end before, like before yeah. you, you should need to really. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. You, you've seen people be in the pits like, ring, yeah. ring, yeah. like <laughs> or oh, freeing it up. It's yeah. like no, you're not freeing it up. You just you're going to cost more in rebuilds. Yeah, like, I was always careful when I was racing just to be like. Yeah. Yeah, as you said, just keep it at that certain point. Do you know yeah. what I mean? You see, the thing is, though, is like when you when you do it slow like that too, like that's how I would warm it up as well. But I always have a, a race plug and a startup plug. So whichever at the end of the race event, that one will become my practice club uh, yeah. plug, which will then be my starter plug. And then I'll have my race plug that's only used on track because when you start it on the stand and you're having so low, mm. it's not really getting enough air and enough RPM to burn off the fuel and because it's two-stroke to burn off the oil left on the, on the spark plug. So experience like a foul spark plug which yeah. is something i never ex- experienced how do you how do you i'm just amazed how you figured all this stuff out like when did you start figuring uh, all this go-karting I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> like i i started working on my cart like pretty much the same time i was old enough to get a job yeah i started doing all mechanical work myself um which i was then able to just put an extreme amount of effort and time into it yeah picked up a lot of stuff myself but also you know those names i dropped before like darren hossack remo luciani so mm-hmm. like that plug thing 
Uh, I learned from Rima Luciani and like a lot of the kart stuff I learned from yeah, Darren right. Ross, like Bart Price, like really incredible drivers, you know, these. Did you write this stuff down or did you just remember it? By I memory bank. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. Did your dad teach you anything as well? Uh, enough to keep the car running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he never like, he didn't have like too big of a background in, yep. in racing. Like he did stock cars over in New Zealand. He was like quite good, Yeah, um, but okay. it's like not really applicable to go-karts. Yeah, like okay. it's, it's pretty different. You got to tell me about your dad's racing career then. Cause he's done Clubman. What was it? He did, <laughs> cl- <laughs> he did Club 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 yeah, yeah. 40s. Did stock car racing in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah. So he moved over here when he was 18. So he didn't really race for that long. So yeah. like he pretty much like I don't know if he, he probably won stuff here or there I don't know but yeah yeah he just raced in stock cars like over there it's crazy he's got to crash into each other pretty much you got to be fast but you got to be good at crashing so like <laughs> yeah. yeah it's pretty it's pretty nuts man it's pretty big injuries are going in that because the the bodies are so frigid and stiff and you got bars going everywhere to keep the thing stiff yeah. like that's all the more impact to the driver man there's no absorbing going on anywhere man absorbing absorbing in the seat like it's, yeah it's crazy yeah do you keep yourself how do you how do you keep yourself like floppy and relaxed because like uh, some drivers. I don't know, go for a run before a race. And me, I basically sleep. That's my, my, my really, that's the way yeah. I, I get relaxed. And I even have, do you have a racing like ritual? No. How you get into the car? You don't have any lucky undies or anything. <laughs> you know what? When I was a kid, if I was going good yeah. at a, like a two day race event, yep. I would keep like the same socks on and wear the same undies all week. And if I started going shit, I'd change them. No. See, that's exactly <laughs> what I do. No. I don't do that now. Yeah, at see, all, ad- like, adulting now, Daniel. Yeah. Adulting. Oh, you still do that? <laughs> Oh, okay. oh, sorry, I don't mean to make you feel <laughs> inferior. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh, yeah. Brooks, Brooks always been like, I, I ended up winning the Formula Four Championship, but Brooke was like, yeah, Brooke was good, like, yeah. Brooke was like, to me, oh, oh, I'll, 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 I'll never let this down. Oh, I'll, I'll never uh, let it down. But I, I ended up trying to wear the same, like what you said before. And Brooke caught me out. She goes, she's like, you're not wearing these undies again, are you? And I'm are like, we talking yeah. unwashed? Yeah, unwashed. You went between races unwashed. No, 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 no. He was them, trying to. In a loop. <laughs> no, no, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I was trying to keep it unwashed. Holy. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And she oh, made me man. stop it. And then in my head, it gets into your head like you, you're going to choke because something different's happened. Yeah. Oh, and that's basically what it. But at the end man. of the day, I still end up winning. But I was like, yeah. now what I've done is basically I have the same undies, but they're the same color. So yeah, okay. in my head, it's yeah. A, he's got know, he's got du- duplicates of, of the I've same got duplicates. But I still stand there and go, "Are you lying to me?" Yeah. <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm a free baller anyway, so yeah. like I can't. Do you, yeah, do you I free, can't do you free ball in your race? Oh, yeah, I wear so- I'm free ball all the time, man. Like, really? I'm free ball right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not a hang baby. Like, <laughs> That's gonna be funny. <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> but yeah, I wear socks though. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah. then I like even when I was a kid, I used to uh, go to the same toilet cubicle if I was going well. If I was going bad, I'd like I'd change cubicles till I was going good, then I'd just stay in the same one. Yeah, but like I'm not really a skeptics like that now yeah. i'm not saying you're wrong in what you do yeah. you won you won a form four championship doing it so let's keep doing what you're doing yeah. there, so. <laughs> but yeah. do, do you have any like certain things that you eat on a weekend too like like especially for your national karting championships and stuff like that um in the supercar yeah it's probably yeah. like um it's like it gets hot in the car man it's always like between 25 and 35 degrees hotter in the car than it is outside plus you got like fireproof underwear as you're aware with what i'm mm. sure you'd wear like and you've got your um your, your race suit as well as your bell club a helmet your gloves your boots like it gets real hot in there yeah. so um so you always want to be having something that's going to give me good lasting energy mm. uh, so yeah they're just pretty much eating clean like i'll be eating clean and obviously be as fit over the whole year but mainly like two weeks prior to a race event i'll try to eat quite clean mm. um but you know a lot of the foods i like i do like some dirty foods like i like yeah. a good dirty burger and stuff but like yeah like i'll it's probably more of like a Sunday meal, that one. Yeah. But yeah, I try and just eat like real clean, like pretty pretty lean, but just nice and clean really. Just yeah. not too many fats, but carbs and protein. So like carbs during the day and like proteins at night. 
Yeah. I know, sorry, other way around. Protein during the day, carbon <laughs> yeah. at night um, is a good one. Um, yeah. You, yeah, you, you would have had to stay fit for obviously being in a band and racing though, wouldn't you? So it would be the same type of fitness schedule in a way. What would you be doing to uh, well, yeah, not, not really so fit for being a muso, man? Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, to be honest, like we, like I'd always rock out on stage quite a lot and mm. I'd, be, I'd be tired, man. Like it's sweat up there, like just as much as a supercar. Yeah. Um, but I'd, oh, well, probably not really. I mean, you, you lose a fair bit over a race event in water weight in the supercar. Yeah. That's for sure. I experienced like yeah, quite a lot of weight loss over weekends just from water weight. Um, but that comes down to probably not managing your diet mm. good enough. Like at the start, I was like, I'd drop like two kilos in a race event. Uh, but that's because I didn't have my diet exactly mm. how it should have been. So once, you know, I was able to eat the right stuff and my body was actually to take it, able to take in the water instead of just drinking it and peeing it out, mm. um, then I probably experienced a little bit less of that. But yeah, not so much fitness for the band. Mm. Um, but yeah, like as you asked before, like about like pre-race rituals or pre-show rituals, like no, I don't have any. I just like just – chilling, talking sure. to whoever, like just talking to people, doing whatever, and then just getting in the car and driving. Like it's probably something I carry across from go-karts because when I was racing um, for arrow carts, we'd have the, the team truck there. But my role was also like helping out other drivers in their team or like anybody with that brand go-kart that would come yeah. up to the truck for some help. So like after every race event, I'd have to document my whole setup like to every single stiffness, every single compound of everything on my car. Yeah. And we'd export that to a dealer network and post it on Facebook. So like everyone always had my setup. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like because I was having to talk to so many people so much at race events and then I just have to get in and drive in between obviously working on the car and engineering, it was always quite a busy schedule. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. It's just like easy for me really because it's like sort of a bit more close to normality for me. Mm. It's like if I can just be a little bit closer to the way I am, which I'm sort of like chill all the time. Yeah. Um, it you're a bit of a gypsy. Myself, I like it. But- you're very, you're very chilled. <laughs> you just come in you're like, yeah, man, I'll just hang out. I'll just tell you, you know, I'm going to go to the toilet. There was <laughs> go no, with the like, flow. Yeah, you just Good. go with the flow. It's actually, it's it's crazy like what you've told Brooke and myself today, like how you like basically like pick up everything. You know what I mean? Like you've just got that knack, which is a which is an awesome ability, which is basically what supercar which has helped you with supercars right do you know what i mean yeah i guess like i you know as a kid like i just used to like fuck around a lot i don't know if you've seen the um and i'll sit down if we can spare this no no you can't you can yeah, we can yeah. so i don't know if you've seen the video yeah, yeah, yeah right, we can say fuck and shit <laughs> so i don't know if you've seen um the the video it's like the more you fuck around the more you find out it's yeah very much so how like i lived my childhood i'm yeah. just like doing stupid crap and just like trying different things and mm. learning different skills and then you know i guess when i started working like i worked in you know, when I first started work, I worked at uh, Timber Factory, my dad manages, mm. like cutting timber, like it was sort of something I just had to learn, nothing serious. But then, you know, once I actually finished school and started working properly, there was like so many different roles and stuff like that was included in my career there at, at DP Car Technology, which is like a maybe five-year span or something like that. Yeah. So many different roles, so many different skills I had to pick up. It was always like just doing something. Mm. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's always been like quite easy in that sense. But, was, you know, I, I, I got to – play guitar as a kid. I got to race go-karts and I was still doing school sport. Like I was just always doing shit. Yeah. So it was probably, I don't know, probably something you just pick up. But at the same time you were working hard. Like you said, you went into the, what was it? The super two you said, and you didn't, you just studied it for two weeks and you know what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you pick it up, but you're also like not to make it sound like you're not doing anything in a way. I'm just saying you really worked hard at these things too, as well. Cause you wanted them like your music career and the driving as well, which is like really shown in what you do. Thanks. Yeah. It's yeah. like you, you are there. Like it's two things I've always wanted to do. And like, especially this racing stuff. And there's just, I guess, not leaving any stone unturned. Yeah. Is that the right thing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just, I don't know. just want to do everything right. So 
but that's the biggest thing, like you mentioned before, about like me obviously managing my own career as well. It's just mm. another control method that I can have over my career um, of just making sure everything's done right. Um, it's crazy busy. And, you know, like I, I said before, like, you know, it's, I've got to find the right person to, to manage me. It would be good because mm. I could probably step back a little bit more. But I guess the, the biggest sponsors I get, the more I can learn to step back and then probably do more driving stuff. Cause to be honest, like I'm only ever driving at the race event. And that yeah. was something that um, Ben and Rach Eggleston are like, man, like you had like literally just like, you're doing a good job because you're just rocking up and, and racing and like beating a lot of guys. But I feel like you'd be doing so much better if you're doing all these other categories like everyone else. The, the reality is I don't have the money to do that. Yeah. Like I'd scrape in every penny just to do super two. Yeah. Do you train but, in um, um, go-karts at all? I okay. used to yeah. um, until I just ran out of time. Like, yeah, but okay. I am going to get a cart very shortly okay. get a fan and then um like i'll probably go out like four days a week man i'll just do mornings because like i don't really work too much in the mornings i do my own sort of stuff in mornings and nights and then like i'd say my peak period talking to people and going to meetings is probably from like a like a 10 till like maybe 5 30 yep. p.m so 10 a.m to 5 30 p.m so like i was thinking before that you know i go to the track at like seven do a few hours come home and then start work yep. so i'll be like driving all the time so yeah. yeah, looking forward to that. I feel for for me like I, I'm cutting on Friday just for my Bathurst prep. Nice, like, good man. Of, That's I, good. Yeah, I got to know from you because you're you're a sim racer as well. But do you find karting more efficient to your training, or do you find sim racing like karting without a doubt? You're actually okay. driving something. It's yeah. real. Like mm. sim's not real, man. It's yeah, like it's a, I know I'm going to offend a lot of people. Oh, it's all right. Tony like video, on It's a video game. Like yeah, you know, I know it's pretty realistic, but it's it's not the real thing. Yeah, so like yeah. Yeah, it's not the real thing. Tony Tony Kanam was saying on Twitter, he's like, "What is sim racing? Is it a video game or is it like a sim sim thing where you learn?" Because the old school drivers like myself and a few others, like you have yeah. said, it's a video. It is a video game, and, yeah. and the thing for karting is for us is you can feel it on track. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's just that element where, and it also makes you sweat. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. I think as you just said, like being able to feel something under you, you're mm-hmm. driving in real life with pedals, wheels, and engine, all that sort of stuff, it's still applicable. Yeah. Like it, it's clearly applicable because, you know, we managed to go quite good straight away when I stepped, you know, we spoke about before when I stepped in the supercar and I didn't do the other category. So it shows you like, I, to be fair, I was sim racing when I was younger as well. Mm. So who knows, maybe they both contributed. And without a doubt, like not to discredit anyone's passion for sim racing here because mm. I think it's great. I just have the time for it, yeah. but it does teach you plenty of stuff. And I did do sim stuff, as I mentioned before. I um, I you did drive a lockdown in that and that cash converters championship. Was it? Was that it? Yeah. yeah. So I did both. I've done both of those. Yeah. So I um, I had a sim for the first one. Mm-hmm. So track racer kidding me out with a bunch of stuff. Yep. And then for the second one, I just borrowed uh, my friend Bill uh, Caracolis and went around to his garage and yeah. we just have a barbie and then I'd hop in and. Do uh do the E series and then pop back out afterwards. So yeah, yeah do they? What, how does it work for Fox Sports? Because they were televising it and and it was Brooke, all live. Yeah. Brooke, Brooke, Brooke and I were watching it once and we're like, hang on, this is this is a this is a computer game. It's on TV. <laughs> like yeah. they full take it seriously though. Like all credit to Supercars, it is pretty cool because as you said, it's hard to get a race car on the track all the time. You yeah, know what I mean? absolutely. And it was good because like when we did it last year, obviously the calendar was running. Mm. The first time it was you know it was needed to to get I guess some television rebates and stuff that supercars would be getting but this time it was for a different reason you know it was a fair few fans wanted it back so yeah we did the second e-series and it's good fun like you kind of forget that you're on camera because we've all got a webcam like streaming back yeah. and so like you're eating dinner or something like i was like eating pizza on live tv that like got me on like because yeah. i did endurance race i was like eating pizza and like i kind of forgot <laughs> and i had the stream next to me and i saw it i was like oh, idiot like, <laughs> yeah but then after that i was like oh yeah like 
could probably play this muso thing a little bit. So the next enduro, I had my bass there because I always got my bass in my car with me. So I was yeah, like, got it out. I was like playing the bass, and I'm like, let's probably get that for like you know ten minutes. And I had like sponsor logos behind me, so I upped the value for them. Yeah, which gave me a little bit of firing power. So like it, it, it sort of milk it a little bit. I wouldn't say like ever really milk anything like that. Sort of just try to keep it natural. But like after that pizza incident, I was like, oh yeah, like. If I pull if I pull my base out and I start slapping it here, like they're gonna put it on TV. Yeah. Sponsors behind are gonna be happy because their logo is gonna be on television. So yeah, yeah. it worked out pretty good. Cool. But it's good fun. It is an opportunity for us to get a little bit more exposure. Guys like myself that, you know, aren't in the main series yet and have a desire strictly to be, like it's just another opportunity to be up against these guys and have a bit of fun and just more exposure to the supercar fan base. Yeah. Before we get to the fast five, have you heard of the fast five? No. Okay. It's a game show. It's coming soon. It's coming yeah. soon. Okay. Anyway, um, uh, I want to ask you about. No, no, I want to <laughs> ask you about. I want to. Is it at the end of every segment? Yeah. Yes. I've watched so many like starts of them, and like, uh, I've I, never yeah. made one all the way through. This <laughs> is going to the end. I reckon yeah. I've seen like all of them for like like most of it, and never oh, seen the fast. We did. Part. We did do a leaderboard on Instagram. You didn't see it. Nah. Oh, <laughs> that's all good. No. No, that's good. I yeah, like the improv right. stuff, man. Yeah, it's so. good, good. It's, it's all right. Um, I wanted to actually know, why does Ben and Rachel Eckerson run 54 and 38, though, and, and you guys never get to change your number? Um, you're, you, where did number 12 come from? So number 12, it's probably a bit of a center thing, to be honest. Like I started as two mm. um, just because it looked cool when I was seven. <laughs> yeah. And then I had to run 22 sometimes because the guy that was racing for longer than me entered at two before me. Yeah. So like a club day, so I had to run 22. He stopped racing, so I could run two again. Yeah. I ran that, and then I started doing 12 again because I ran Junior National Light and Junior Clubbin simultaneously mm. for a couple of times and had to run, um, yeah, number 12 on one because one of the guys had number two. So I actually got to race against, like, a fair few, like, good drivers in Junior Clubbin, like someone like Tom Randall and mm. I can't remember who else did those. But some really There's good heaps, drivers. Yeah. yeah, like like a fair few that are, like, in main series now that all went on to do cars earlier than me. Mm. Um but yeah, so it was pretty much just availability. Started doing twelve, and I was like, "Oh no, I like the twelve because that and center around twelve and stuff like that." So yeah, I just ran those. And to be honest, like I would, all, I always wanted to run like number two. But mm. a lot of the stuff like at Eggleston was all like pre-labeled. All the tools are labeled for each car. Like they do a good, like good job. Every tool, uh, sorry, every car has its own tool. Really, yeah. there's not many double up tools. Only specialty tools, really. Yeah. So like every car's got its own tool, so everything's labeled. So it's like it's a bit of a pain in the ass if you want to change number. Yeah. And there was like Steve, uh, Stephen Page, like big Pagey that ran in Super Three in the Jayco car, uh, the Page by the Jayco car. Yeah. His number was two. So yeah. like there was a toolbox in with two all over it. So you, you end up mixing yeah. up all the stuff and the VF and the VE stuff are different tools and everything gets mixed up. Like a bit of a pain in the ass. But I can't remember the fifty four and the thirty eight story actually. Yeah. Um. I can't remember at all. Yeah. <laughs> I just was. I just found it interesting how they've never really changed their number in Super Two. Basically, there, yeah. there was fifty four and thirty eight, and you guys would have to stick to that number. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, for sure. Um, PD ran eighty eight because he was running with Win Cup at the time. Yep. Yeah, I remember. So that. Paul Umbrell ran eighty eight. Yep. Um, which Tim Blanchard had run when he ran with us. Yep. I think. Um, yeah, he did a couple of races with us uh, in twenty twenty one, and then he replaced me in Townsville last year. Yeah. Um, when I missed out, but yeah, he ran eighty eight for. 2021 and then um yeah just used my 54 at townsville but i can't remember for the life of me i can't remember why yeah it's a little bit of a story it's something like too crazy or anything but yeah, oh, yeah. Good. I just maybe i have to, to get rach on here yeah maybe we'll get rach on here yeah uh, ben's funny man yeah. like it'd be so good to have on here and like because rach runs the business herself yeah. so like she you know this good person to talk to as a team owner mm. inside of the back end of that sort of stuff like ben runs everything in the shop 
and he's just like a battler guy. Like he's just like, you know, always telling jokes sort of thing, whereas like Rachel's like full serious and particular, like control freak, like yeah, perfectionist, yeah, yeah. make sure everything's perfect, you know. So like they would be good to get on. Yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe in future. Anyway. We do. Yep. Okay. We'll, we'll, get, to the, we'll, get, to, we'll get to the fast five. All right. All righty. All right. Question number one, and we can talk about these these um subjects within them, so it's all good. Wait, wait. So is it's, it, it's, how fast is this five? No, like, no, no, no. We, like, no, it's just five questions. It's just right. it, I just want to make it sound cool. That's why it's called the fast five. <laughs> I like it. So, yeah. so we we can talk a bit on the on yeah. these subjects. It just depends on yourself, really. Um, first one is, what years did Supercars Hall of Famer Paul Dumbrell race for Eggleston Motorsport? How many? How many? Year, like, what years did he run? How for, many? Run, so run for from Ben and Rach, two thousand and. 12? Yeah. To 2016. Oh. Uh, wrong. No, wrong. Oh, by the way, we've got to add, add to the segment. So if if you get if you get below three, you get a shit prize. If you get Oh, what do we get prizes? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw him jump that. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, hey, we haven't described this. Yeah. So yeah, more than three, you're gonna get a great prize. And less than three, Dan's gonna find something under his desk. Yeah. That one you were just off. It was 2014 to 2018. Oh uh, yeah. Did, did he do 18? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. According to Wikipedia. We'll just oh. add that there. <laughs> <laughs> um, second question is, actually, you know what, Brooke, I'll let you have this one. All right. What was the band Wolf Mother called before Wolf Mother? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, I'm dang. out. I'm out. I thought you were Terrible news, though. Maybe you know. <laughs> well, funny, funny fact, I'm actually friends with the bass player of Wolf Mother, like really good friends, Bobby Poulton. But yep. you yeah. have to tell me the answer now. <sighs> it's Bugger. White Feather. White, white feather. feather in two thousand and nine. Wolf like mother, before white they feather. White feather. Yeah. Very same in syllables, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I know, right. <laughs> Wolf mother, white feather. <laughs> yeah. um, question number three. It is a multiple choice question. Ba- the rest of them are multiple choice. So, okay. so it's basically. So like, I've got a chance now. Yes. Yes. Basically, Dan was harsh at the beginning. Yeah. Basically, yeah. like I should have got Pete everyone. That was silly. <laughs> <laughs> you got three of these multiple choices to catch up for a good time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. What year did Arrow Karts founder Drew Price go into Motorsport Australia, in, into the Motorsport Australia Hall of Fame? Was it A, 2016, B, 2017, C, 2018? 2016. Oh, no. really? Oh. <laughs> yeah. So far, nothing right to this. Really? Oh, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, what happens if I get none right? Uh, <laughs> Do you have you- a participation badge? <laughs> 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 That's actually really good. Actually, I don't know. Yeah. Dan's going to have to find something behind there. Some, I, do, I do have a present for no, We've no had no one person so far that got zero, so you yeah, wouldn't really. be the only a one present, to do. A, a present for getting none right, that's uh, you get booed out the door. <laughs> 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 no, nah, we booed no one. Nah, yeah, right. Right. You'll still get a prize. It'll just be a shit prize. Yeah, basically. so we're yeah. a shit prize. Yeah. <laughs> what year did country singer Adam Brand debut in the V8 Utes? Was it A, 1997, B, 2000, or C, 2002? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad it's multiple choice. Yep. Because I didn't know that Adam Brown race Utes. Yep. <laughs> so, all right, I think about his career. 2002. Yes, yes. correct. <laughs> you got a point on the ball. So yeah, imagine, imagine for all the viewers, they yeah. just wanted me to get a point and they're yeah. just like, yeah, that was correct. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'd do me a solid go and edit the Wikipedia because, like, anyone can edit it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> guys, edit. No. Yeah, I got my yeah. back. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That was a good – at least you got a point on the board. Okay, yeah, we got one point on yeah. there. Yeah. You're not, Numbers you're not, on the board. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're not a zero in the in the, in the OTC. Do you, remember that, do you remember that song by, by Pusha T, Numbers on the Boards? It was probably – Real big, right when you were going through high school, uh, I reckon. No, no I don't God, remember. That. I, probably if I heard it, no. now I'm just like, I don't know. I'd probably have to hear it again. All right. 
You did are. you know? Did you know his best mate's the Wade Orger, who's a super, she's a sprint cars commentator. Really, and he got involved in V8 Utes because he's best mates with Adam Brand, and that's how basically when the Utes originally started, he was commentating the Utes. Mm. So that's how that whole. If you look back on yeah, it, cool. you go on the archives. You'll like see. You'll At see. First, I thought you were talking about push a team. No, I was no, like, no. What no. the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm about. No, I was talking about Adam Brandon. Oh, yeah. so My brain was just going, "What the yeah. hell?" That's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, and Craig Dantas, obviously, who's massive in in the supercars yeah. scene, was back racing with Adam Brandon. I'm sure you can talk to him about Adam Brandon and whatnot. Yeah, cool. So you can get two out of five correct in this one, Matt. If you can get it, I hope you know your Bathurst 1000 stats. To come back on this one, I do know I've, I do know a fair bit. Well, just I'm not going to yeah. pull myself up too much, but I've watched a lot of old replays. All right, cool. yeah, I was hoping for some old like uh, some old replay. Sweet, ones, here we go. I reckon you might get this one right. right. I'm just saying, who won the Bathurst 1000 back in 2014? Was it A. Mark Winterbottom slash Stephen Richards, B. Will Davison slash Jonathan Webb, or C. Chas Mostert and Paul Morris? Oh. I can repeat the question. It was Chaz and Paul Morris. Yep. Yes. Wow. That was a good score. Did you say it was a good score? Yeah. Oh, so, you know, it's quite condescending of you that. No. That's <laughs> oh, <laughs> a good score. In my head, I was saying, I'm like thinking of the leaderboard and I'm like, it's not bad. There's a lot of, you know, twos and hey, ones look. we've got in that leaderboard, you know. So. Okay. All right. You know what I'm going to give you? What have you got? <laughs> it's a, That's pretty cool. It's a. It's. A, I don't know. Maybe you can use it. Everyone else is for blowing bubbles. The is, really is long it, sticks. Is that, is that bubbles or is it something else? <laughs> 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 no, it's for everybody who's hard. wondering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it um, looks like something else. Yeah, you could basically a, basically a blowing bubble thing. <laughs> it's oh, not wait. a very interesting prize today, Close unfortunately. For the <laughs> <laughs> at the next supercars, you can be running around with it. Wee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, before we go, Maddie, um, we don't have to end at the fast five. Um, what's your basically? What's your future goals in into Super Two this year? Do you have any like game plans, even to get into a team? Any any back? Because this these episodes are fil- filmed well in advance, so you don't have to worry about you know what's coming. You know what I mean? Yep. For, yeah, yeah. So what's what's your plans basically to get in there? Is it obviously the Boost Mobile thing. You hoping that pays off, and hopefully sliding in with a race team with a car that's there, or what's the go? Yeah, so uh, the Boost one, just another one of my sponsors, uh, yep. which I obviously will always be looking to build on. So the biggest thing is just to have all my sponsors together like they are at the moment. You know, a lot of there's a lot of fun sort of getting around in the background, not a huge amount, obviously not like any of the people that have like family support or anything, but enough to get me through a Super 2 year. So the goal is to find a seat, but then after that the goal is to win the series. Yep. Um, and, yeah, if not, then I'll definitely be still doing a few rounds in the Super 2 series and doing the whole S5000 calendar. Yep. Um it's an interesting category, S5000, because you get to do more racing than you do in Super 2, and there's a whole other round. So mm-hmm. be a good one. It'll be the most racing I've done in a year. If I do three races in Super 2, yep. then I do uh, the rest in S5000, like, that's more races than what I've even done back in go-karts, man. Like I would yeah. only do the Australian Championship, but then like States and City of Melbourne. So like, you know, seven events every year. Yeah. So if I'm doing, what's that? That's like 10 mm. sort of thing. And then, yeah, we've been working on some co-drive stuff. So hopefully by the time this airs that I've worked that out, but it's looking like we're going okay. But yeah, there's a couple, couple parties, one yeah. that I'm really, really keen on. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. gonna have to see how that pans out. Really. Would you like to team up with Jimmy Golding and his with his seat because you've been mates for years? Or he's is- a good operator, man. Yeah, yeah. like he, he does a good job. Like I think anyone that has his level of commitment would be good. Like you know, it's good to see. Obviously, he lost uh, his drive. Obviously, when Gary Rogers stopped doing it, yeah, for him to go and do it, carry like S five thousand, and then get back in and do a great job straight away. Yeah, you know, stepping into a car he's never driven halfway through the year. 
you know, pick up so quickly. Yeah. You know, it shows he's a good operator. Like, yeah, I'd step in there. Because, I mean, to be honest, I'd sort of like, I'd, there's a lot of people I'd go with, mm. but he'd be a good operator. And yeah. you haven't been tempted by the ARG TCR route by any means or not really? Oh, uh, well, look, supercar's my plan? career. Yeah. Yeah. It's just super I mean, yeah, I, I have been interested in that. Yeah. I was actually supposed to replace Will Brown at HMO at Hyundai um, yeah. in, when was that like? 20. 22 yeah. was last year. Yeah, okay. Last year. 20, yeah. yeah, but um, but yeah, I just wasn't able to gather enough immediate funds. I would have had to take away from the Super 2 and then it was probably going to cause problems. Yeah, um, okay. So yeah, I wasn't able to do that. But yeah, like it, it's been an interest, but look, supercars are my career path and I'd say that S5000 is probably similar mm. to doing um, Super 2 or any supercar stuff as demonstrated by Jimmy yeah. Gordon just mentioned. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd do it. It's a backup. If I can't get any rounds in Super 2 whatsoever, then maybe I could do both of those simultaneously. The yeah. budget for them, it's so cheap compared to Super 2. Like, you, yeah. it's so good. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thanks, Matty, for coming on. Yeah, thanks thank for having you. me, guys. Cheers. Yeah. It's been thanks. fun. It's been a good yeah. podcast. Yeah, it's yeah. been good. Yeah, yeah. cheers. Thanks, Matty. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. You can also find the full episode and highlights on YouTube. Yes, you can see your favourite guests and us on camera. All the links are in the show notes and don't forget to subscribe to the channel. We'll see you next week for another awesome episode.